Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It's January 27th, 2024, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on X at Jason underscore OTC. Uh, or you can email me, jason at overthecap.com. I know I've been uh, pretty delinquent on emails lately, so hopefully I'll be able to catch up with those things as well. Uh, you can also watch the podcast on YouTube. Um, no video tonight, uh, just a screen video. Uh, you don't get to see my wonderful face on here. Um, decided to record in a different spot, and really I was just too lazy to go and uh, get the camera to set up for it. Figured it really doesn't make too much of a difference either way. Um, so we start off this week's podcast on a little bit of a sad note. Um, Nelly the Bunny, who had been the uh, unofficial co-host of the OTC podcast, and uh, you know, um, just the uh, the little mascot or whatever uh, that was there most weeks, unfortunately passed away the other day. Um, so I thought I would tell everybody, since I know Nelly was a uh, fan favorite um, of the podcast, making noise in the background, begging for treats, uh, and all that stuff. So I thought I would share that with everybody. Um, and start off with there, uh, you know, Nellie was getting a little bit older. Um, she was a couple years old when we got her, and uh, we've had her for, I think, close to four years, um, I think about that time frame. So anyway, um, you know, just wanted to uh, to kind of put that out there. Uh, beer of the evening tonight, we'll move on to a little bit better news here. Um, making my way still through Christmas beers that we've gotten, so... Now we're moving on to the Clown Shoes 12 Beers of Christmas set that's here. So I'm not sure what we'll be doing. The first one is a uh, one-man holiday Belgian style. Um, seems to be pretty decent. Um, so not too bad. Uh, we'll see how we do going through these tonight. Um, you know, hopefully it won't be too crazy because I'm just uh, going in there and just grabbing a couple different things here and there and uh, getting to them. Uh, obviously it's been a little bit of time since I've been able to do a podcast. Um, I don't think I've done one in three weeks now, maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, just been a little bit busy and you know, the football games being on the Saturday night in the playoffs, they make it a little more difficult because typically the podcast time is going to be Saturdays. Um, sometimes I'll still do them on a Friday night, but usually we've got stuff going on on a Saturday and I usually try to get in squat day Saturday. So I don't really want to uh, stay up too late and do the drinking on the Saturday if I'm going to be doing squats the next day. Um, just seems a little counterproductive. So uh, I've been trying to do them on Sundays and I think after, uh, sorry, on Saturdays. So I think, um, you know, after this week, I think we should be back to a normal schedule uh, since, you know, we're, we're down to the, uh, the final games here. So... Hopefully we'll be back on that. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some Jacob appearances here coming up and down. He's uh, bouncing back back and forth between fortnighting in the basement and, I don't know, having some kind of party with his uh, buddies online at the moment. And I think he was attempting to have a disco party. So if there's uh, any funky sounding music in the background at all, you can just blame that on him. Uh, I wish my mom a happy birthday. Uh, so happy birthday, mom. I'm sure she'll be listening for... Let's see, we are three minutes and 28 seconds in, so I'm not sure if she made it that far, but if she did, happy birthday. Um, so it was her birthday just a couple of days ago, um, yesterday actually. So I uh, we'll wish her a happy birthday on the podcast. Um, I don't even really know where to start tonight. You know, there's since it's been so long, I mean, there's been so many different things uh, with the coaching, um, with the, the teams that have been eliminated from the playoffs, and just 
so much different stuff to to kind of go over. Um, I think, you know, maybe just start with the coaching for a little bit. I'm not going to go too, too much, I don't think, at least, into the, the coaching aspect of it. Um, you know, I, I think that when we get into the coaching searches, you know, a lot of it is just kind of, it's blind, right? We, we go into these things and it's like, oh, well, you know, this guy's a can't miss, this guy's a can't miss, this person is a can't miss, you know, and I, I think we get way too caught up a lot of times with the performance that they've had with one individual player. And, you know, we, we don't really know how these positional coaches are going to translate. It's a very different skill set. I think a lot of times being the coach of a, you know, an entire team and organization uh, where you've got to deal with so many different things, right? You're, you're dealing with 8 million different personalities. You're dealing with 8 million different media people. Um, you know, you're dealing with owners, you're dealing with all kinds of outside influences. There's just so much stuff that goes on and, you know, you, you've got to control a whole, whole team. You've got a whole coaching staff that you have to deal with. That can be very, very different from being a coordinator. Um, I think the other thing that goes on a lot of times now is I think there is this rush to find, you know, the next great young head football coach. Right, the next McVeigh or something like that, um, and I, I think because there's this rush to get that person, which is usually the the youngest coordinator that has recently worked with a quarterback who, um, you know, is successful, and it's like there's too much of a rush, I think, sometimes to to give that person a job. And then the expectations on that person are too high. Um, you know, obviously the, there was a lot of development that went into someone like a Josh Allen, right? Josh Allen didn't exactly come into the league, I think, as a, a finished product. But for a lot of other players, you know, it, you're giving the credit to a coach. And I, I think sometimes we're overlooking the fact that that player happens to be really, really good. Um, and because we rush into it because there's this fear of like losing out on this great young offensive mind that's going to come in and take over your team you kind of you don't really have much of a track record with them to fall back on and when people talk about you know why are there so many offensive coaches that get jobs and the defensive coaches kind of get pushed to the side I think that's really a big reason why. I think for a defensive coach, a lot of times to get that opportunity, they kind of have to go through years and years and years of having an above average defense. And, you know, defense is not the most stable thing year to year. It's hard to, you know, have great defenses every season. Um, but, you know, the, the the standouts that come from the defense, usually it's more along the lines of, well, this player is great. This player is great. This player is great. And even though we say that about the quarterbacks, a lot of the credit goes to the offensive coordinator. So at least from, from a standpoint of putting together a functional unit, um, that's kind of, you know, everything is dependent on circumstance, but something that's a little bit more, a little bit more, I think, independent. Um, I think when we hire the defensive coaches, it, you have a little bit better of an idea as to 
at least what they can do on that side of the ball, because there's probably a lot longer of a track record, a lot more of a history to go on. And even if that history is not huge, but let's say it's at least a couple of years, the amount of new pieces that you put in and the different wrinkles that you have to put in to maintain a defense that plays above average, well, you, you know the guy has to be pretty good, all right? When we get to the, the offensive side, again, we just jump into it a lot of times off a season. And when you're taking a new job, generally you're taking a job that's a terrible roster. You're taking over a terrible team, a terrible franchise, and you're being asked to take this this group that's awful and somehow mold it very quickly into being a contender. And, you know, we look at this and we'll say, well, you know, this guy did this with this quarterback and this guy did this with this one. And, you know, he's going to salvage this player and all is going to be wonderful. And then it doesn't happen. Right. Because, you know, the, the physical talent of Josh Allen, you know, only comes across, you know, once once in a while, you know, a player like Patrick Mahomes comes across once in a generation. You know, you you don't have these guys that just kind of come in all the time and, you know, are going to be great. And you go in there with some of these quarterbacks who just simply are ineffective and you don't really have that that history to, to dial back to as to, well, you know, how did this guy do, you know, when he's being forced to go in there with kind of like these these mid-grade players? And, you know, I, I think that is, that's one of the, I think it's one of the problems with the way that we hire. And then the, the, the other issue with it is that the person gets the, the job opportunity at a very young age and then they fail and it's like you, you it's almost like you don't get an opportunity again and it obviously some of the some of the people do right but a lot of times it's hard it's hard to get a second opportunity in the NFL especially if you do really badly um you know it, it's hard to rehab your image to the point to where you can get that other head coaching job and you know maybe that one you get a little bit luckier in the draft or you have a little bit of a better um you know understanding of what it takes to be a head coach so you know i i think that uh there's a disservice that's being done and in part this is probably one of the reasons why i think someone like mike rabel right now doesn't have a job which really kind of surprises me but i think when you you look at someone like vrabel and you know who knows maybe maybe he got hired today and i don't even know about it uh (laughs) But, you know, obviously he, he lasted out there much longer than I thought he would. When he was let go, my thought on it was, why are these, why are the Titans not trading him? Like, I, I kind of had an inkling that he was going to go, like, before that. But it's like, why aren't they trading him? Like, they, they should be able to get something for him. But I, I think when you look at Vrabel, I think people look at this and it's, like, not exciting, right? Um, he's probably not the most uh you know obviously there, there's certain things with the games uh in game stuff that he's been very good at uh i think that some of the stuff that you see with the timeouts and clock management things in the past have been incredibly good i think rabel probably comes across right now as like a boring choice um 
I think in terms of if you're looking for someone to bring stability to a franchise, uh, if you're looking for someone that can do that, I don't think there's a better coach who's out there than him in terms of just bringing some kind of stability to your organization. You know, if, if you are a team like the Panthers, who really has just been chaos for the last two or three years, you know, if, if you're looking to to bring in just something to stabilize it, stop the bleeding, and, you know, go on a path to being relevant, you know, he, he's a good fit. Um, now, obviously, they went in a different direction. Um, and, the, you know, I don't think they even considered him. But I, that's just, that's the kind of team that I'm thinking of there. You know, where you're you're looking for something. You know, maybe Atlanta falls into that same category. They've gone in a different direction, too. They've gone in a, a completely different direction. Um, you know, I think with who they've brought in, I, I think what they've done does give them that same kind of chance, right? They, they didn't go like that flashy, you know, offensive mind route or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I think with someone like Vrabel, he's one of these guys where I think every time, every Sunday, you know his team is probably going to give you the best effort they can. All right, he's going to have them prepared, and they're going to go out there, and they're probably going to give you the the best possible outcome that this group can give you. Um, I think he's one of those coaches where if his team is favored, they're probably going to win. If his team is probably an underdog within three points, he's got a shot. If his team is an underdog by more than that, they probably don't have a chance. And I think that's kind of what hurts him, right? I think his success in Tennessee, in a lot of ways, was probably doing more with that roster than probably anybody else would have done. Because for the most part, he won when he was supposed to win. But then they would lose in the playoffs. Why? They're not as talented as those other teams. And he's probably not going to give you that advantage that pushes you over the top. You know, I think there's still a handful of coaches in this league that can do that. You know, the, the guys that pull off those incredible upsets from time to time, um, you know, that you, you just you, you lean back and say, OK, this coach can do it. I, I don't think he's there. Maybe he will be one day. I don't think he's there, and I, I think that's one of the reasons maybe why in this cycle you haven't heard his name that much, you know, or as much as I thought there would be. And, you know, then the other name that's out there is Belichick. And, you know, Belichick is an interesting one. Um, you know, I the more that I thought about it, you know, after he was let go, because your first thought, again, is, oh, you know, maybe they could have thought about trading him. And it's like, oh, they didn't want to go down that route. They didn't want to waste their time doing that. Um, you know, didn't think it was necessarily fair to him, though, you know, they would have done it with a player. But uh, that's neither here nor there. But Belichick is not bringing you any long term, right? None. He's 70 years old, 70, how old? Around 70, right? So it's not like you're bringing in Belichick to build a program. Um, you're bringing in Belichick to come to a team that probably has a very good offense already in place, 
has had trouble defensively and has had a head coach that probably makes some stupid decisions um, during the course of a year. But with the way that we turn over rosters in the NFL and the typical job openings that exist, like where does Belichick fit in with that? And I, I can't really come up with any place. You know, I, I can't come up with a spot where you would say, okay, yeah, you know, this makes sense for, you know, Belichick to go there. Like pe- people were bringing up um, uh, Los Angeles, the Chargers. Like I, I have no idea why you would think that. Yeah, they, they've got a terrific quarterback. That roster needs a lot of help. You know, that it's a salary cap. It's not a nightmare, but it could become a nightmare. And it probably will become a nightmare if it becomes a, a double-down situation. So, you know, I, I don't see where he would have fit in with that. People mentioned Dallas. All right, Dallas probably wouldn't be as tight in the playoffs. You know, I... Belichick can work with any personnel, but it's not like Dallas's defense was a problem. You know, they, they went into the playoffs tight. That's on the coach. That That's part of it. But, you know, it, it's not like he's going to fix something. You're just banking on him coming in there and pulling off something different in the playoffs. You know, may, maybe the fact is Dallas just isn't good enough. You know, I, I think when you when you look at Dallas and everybody wants to fire that coach or wanted to fire the coach, wanted to fire the coach, how much better, objectively, how much better is that team going to be with a new head coach? You know, they win, what, 11 games, 12 games every year. Now, you, you can come to the point where you're like, okay, they're, they're not getting any better with him and you need a change for the sake of change. I mean, I, I, I guess you could do that. But, you know, fundamentally, it's not going to change anything. You know, Dak Prescott is a good but not great quarterback. And he gets tight in some of these big game situations. You know, I, I think that's really the bottom line. Now, I, I wouldn't have expected defensively them to, to fall apart the way they did. Maybe that that's an example of when you're paying too much attention on the... Uh, you know, the coaching preparation front versus the game preparation front. Um, you know, they they were just embarrassed uh, defensively against the Packers in that game. But, you know, it, it's, it, it's not a team that you, you look at, I think, on offense and you say that this, this is this great offensive unit, right? It's a, it's a very good offensive line that's, has some issues with age and injuries. It's an above average but not elite quarterback. And it's one terrific wide receiver. And then some guys. You know, Michael Gallup is not a great player. You know, Brandon Cooks is probably a little bit more of a specialist at this point in time. Um, you know, Tony Pollard is whatever, you know. It, it's... You look at those players, you know, Ferguson at tight end. It's not like this is a team of, you know, all-stars everywhere. You know, they're a good team. But, you know, I, I wouldn't look at them as like this this great 
amazing team. And I wouldn't have made a move to Belichick there. And Atlanta bringing him in, like, I don't know what Atlanta was even thinking with that. Atlanta's roster is no good. They're playing a terrible division, but you know, what what would you look at there and say, oh yeah, yeah, Belichick will fix this. You know, Belichick's post Tom Brady has been terrible. Now, that's not to say that Belichick's success is all Tom Brady. You know, and I think I think one of the unfortunate things because I'm not sure if he's going to coach again. Um, I think one of the unfortunate things for him is he's going to be criticized very, very unfairly uh, with people saying he couldn't win without Brady. And the fact was at least two of the first three Super Bowls that they won, he won those without the guy you think is Tom Brady. Those Super Bowls that were won in 2001 and 2003 were not quarterbacked by the Tom Brady that you all know as a Super Bowl MVP. They were quarterbacked by a guy that managed a football game. They were quarterbacked by a guy who, at that point in time, it was a debate, well, who's better, Tom Brady or Chad Pennington? I mean, it, it's ridiculous in hindsight, but it, it's not like Brady was going out there throwing for 4,000 yards and um, you know slinging the ball all over the football field. You know, they, they played to just do enough. They played to weather conditions in December and January. You know, they they played these games, you know, to, to where they were winning. I'm not saying in spite of the quarterback, but they were winning around what were limitations in a quarterback, I think, at the time. And, you know, Brady is one of these. Brady is probably the greatest success story in the NFL in terms of an actual, like, career development arc. You know, I think if you go and you look at Brady's, um, you know, history as a player, you know, where this crazy peak, you know, it starts in 2004, you know, and at that point he's, uh, what, fifth year in the league? That's really where he starts kind of morphing into this much, much better player. Um, But, you know, he hits this amazing peak when they bring in Randy Moss. And you've got this group now of Randy Moss and Wes Welker and, um, you know, the tight ends come in and, you know, later Julian Edelman and, uh, you know, whomever else, Um, you know, and then, you know, Brady is just becomes a surgeon out there, just, you know, incredible. And the second half of Belichick's run is probably very much Tom Brady dependent, but those first Super Bowls were not. And I'm not saying he, he would have won them with Drew Bledsoe. I'm not saying he would have won them with somebody else. But I, I think he's going to get too much. Uh, he's not going to get enough credit for that part of the career when he really should. Um, I think the other thing with Belichick, and you know, I think he was the guy, whether it happened on purpose or not, um, I think he was the guy that understood the consequences of screwing yourself with the salary cap in that era probably better than anybody else in the league. Um, You know, when people kind of talk about playing chess instead of checkers, you know, that kind of stuff, that was kind of him. And now he wasn't the only one, right? Philadelphia, they knew what they were doing. 
Um, San Francisco kind of knew what they were doing. Um, you know, there were other teams, but I, I think Belichick saw, you know, what happened when the salary cap came in, right? So in the early 90s, you had these teams in Dallas and San Francisco, maybe Denver to some extent, maybe Green Bay to a little extent, but really it's Dallas, San Francisco, and um, then Denver. You're talking a much older quarterback in Denver. But, uh, you know, you're talking about these teams where you looked at Dallas and it was like, this is a dynasty that should never end. And instead, it was like a four-year run. It was a great four-year run, you know, five-year run, whatever it was. It was off the charts, right? Three Super Bowls, probably should have been a fourth. San Francisco gets the one that's in there. You know, San Francisco is that team that just can never get past Dallas, you know, the one year they do and they, they clobber San Diego in the uh, the Super Bowl, which is one of the worst Super Bowl teams ever. Not the San Francisco, the San Diego one. Um, you know, the those teams became decimated by the salary cap. You know, Dallas's bazillion dollars in the triplets and uh, Dion and, um, you know, San Francisco's you know, ventures into certain types of contracts and, um, you know, Denver's trying to manipulate the salary cap. I think they were one of the first teams to kind of get in trouble for stuff um, with a couple of things they did with some of their deals. You know, these are teams that, you know, look like they should have been great for longer periods of time. And and Denver was very good for a long period. And so, you know, San Francisco was too with, you know, even as they moved off of Young and they moved into Jeff Garcia there. Um, but these are all teams that didn't maintain what, you know, I, I think what you would have thought in the eighties probably would have been like a 10 year run of constantly being division round championship round Super Bowl teams. And I think he saw that and, you know, he took a very different approach to what he did. Um, I think he looked at it like, Free agency shouldn't be looked at as a way that we get worse. Like we're worried about losing our players to free agency. That that's the that was the worry, right? Well, you can't keep a team together because of free agency. No. It's that we can utilize free agency to get better by making those hard decisions and allowing our better free agents to go somewhere else. And they're going to be overpaid and they're going to, in the long term, probably damage those other franchises, which they did more often than not. You know, and then Belichick will go and resign him for the minimum years later, um, you know, after they get cut. But uh, I think he understood that or at least came into it, um, you know, in a way that nobody else did. And, you know, maybe some of that was ownership based knowing that his budget in New England is very low compared to a lot of other teams in the NFL. You know, the, the Patriots are a, a, a low-spending football team. Um, you know, their, their last couple of years especially, um, you know, they've been pretty low with the exception of the one year where they just went wild in free agency, which was a disaster. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they're a relatively low-spending team. 
No different than Kansas City. No different than a couple of other teams in the NFL that have been successful. But if you are going to be limited by a budget, you know, you have to operate sometimes differently. So maybe you can say he was forced to do it. I don't, I don't think that's really the main consideration there. But, you know, he just got it better than everybody else. Um, I know I've shared this story before, but I, I know when I, when I listened to Bill Polian talk, um, and he, he was giving his thoughts um, on the salary cap a day or two before I gave mine. That was all, uh, that was funny. Um, but, uh, you know, he was giving his thoughts on stuff. And, you know, the, his thoughts on it, which was the, from that generation, I think this was the, the prevalent thought. It was as long, and, and I, this is probably not the, the exact quote, but it's pretty close. It was as long as I know that I have the money to make Peyton, Marvin, Reggie, and Dwight happy, I can fill out the rest of my team with whomever. That doesn't work. Yeah, the quarterback does. All right, the quarterback, you got to keep your quarterback. <laughs> when, he's, when he's Peyton Manning, you keep your quarterback. But when it comes to everybody else, sometimes you have to make those decisions to move on. And despite the fact that they had that money to, to keep those core guys there, the minute Peyton went down, their team was awful. Terrible. Just a terrible team despite the fact that they had some of these star players on the team, that's, then that's beyond the Marvin Harrison era, but, you know, having these star players on the team, they weren't even competitive. You know, and so Belichick looked at it like, okay, look, there, there's a number that I am happy to keep Richard Seymour. There's a number I'm happy to keep Randy Moss. They want more than that number, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. And that, that was the theory that he had. And he knew that he could go into free agency and he could find guys that are Belichick-type guys. Might not have known him, might not have ever met him, just met him in passing, whatever it was. But he knew that the way that they worked, that they would probably fit in. And, you know, I think what happened was he would go in there, he'd go into free agency, You'd see these guys who were one-time stars get cut from a team, you know, because the team started to play lousy, salary cap considerations, they're getting released. Or, you know, maybe they're free agents coming off a um, second contract even. Flashes those rings and says, look, we can't pay you a lot. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to win a championship, complete your career. Because your career is not really going to be complete until you play in a Super Bowl. You've made your money, but, you know, you you haven't played in the Super Bowl, have you? You haven't been on a, a team that's been any good. You've barely been to the playoffs. You're going to make more money elsewhere. But, you know, if you want to come here and compete, go and do it. And you can sign two or three guys that way versus just having one. And, you know, I, I think that was what he did incredibly well was bringing those types of players in. And it was finding those diamonds in the rough that the other teams had kind of, you know, looked down on. You know, finding roles for them in New England 
that they could do. Now, he did that and was real successful until he wasn't. <laughs> um, and I think that's where the game passes you by sometimes. And I think Belichick cape, caped, kept that same attitude towards the end of Tom Brady's run and after Tom Brady's run. And he, uh, sorry, I'm getting texts from my daughter here. Uh, you know, he, he had them after Tom Brady's run and that, that tail end. The problem was the player in the NFL has changed because the NFL has changed, right? Belichick going into, say, 2013, 2014, 2015, and he, obviously, there's a lot of misses in there, too, right? You know, you're... Um, Dalius Thomas, uh, Chad Johnson, um, Sean Ellis. You know, yeah, okay, those, those are all misses. You know, you're, you're not going to get everything right. Um, you know, but I think one of the things is when you went in that old CBA and you've got these players, you know, people like to use that for, ah, this guy's a dog. This guy's, a, you know, he's a dog when he's out there. When you go through these, the, the, the you know, you're there in these off-season programs. Then you're there for OTAs. Then you're doing two-a-days in training camp. You're playing in preseason games. You've got these hard-hitting practices. That's a mindset that I don't think exists for the most part in today's league because the players haven't experienced it, right? That They just haven't. And I think when you got to that later part of the decade... I think some of that stuff to that Belichick could probably pull from that type of player and player attitude might not have existed to the extent that it did before. There's certainly still players like that. You know, it's not to say that there aren't, um, but I, I think it's it's a little bit more limited in number, which makes it a little bit more difficult for someone like him to go in there and do that. I think the second thing is that, you know, when players get cut nowadays, you know, all your good players get extended. Like nobody slips through the cracks anymore. I feel like the last player to slip through the cracks was Sue. Um, you know, and that that was a salary cap thing. But, um, you know, nobody really does unless you go out there and trade. And, you know, that, that costs you too much. And you, you saw Bill made terrible trades towards the end when they had desperately trade away a two for Sanu, one of the worst trades you could imagine. Um, but, you know, when players get released more often than not, it's because they can't play anymore. And I, I think those types of players for him to find, and he, he still would find guys, you know, obviously every now and then, but, you know, you, you, there's only so many old guys you can throw out there on a team and still be effective. And, you know, that's what he was trying to do. And that got away from him. But, you know, that run that he had from, like, 2001 to, I don't even know what year you want to say. Um, I'd probably have to go look it up. You know, but just in terms of the planning and the way he manipulated stuff, and I think it was just at a different level, even as a general manager, uh, I think with his approach to roster building, um, it was just 
far and away, you know, the the most consistent, probably in the league. You know, he was just right up there. Um, you know, so I, I kind of hope that uh, now that his career is probably done, that this does not become like he was great, but he couldn't do it without Brady. I just hope it doesn't doesn't become that because, you know, he just did some in, incredible things there um, with, you know, with just so much stuff. Uh, I know we're going off on a Belichick tan- uh, tangent here. But, um, you know, he, he was just, uh, I think, really special in that regard. And, you know, just like anything else, over time, the league catches up with you. And that's what happened, um, you know, with him. Um, you know, as for some of these other guys, you know, going back to like Dallas, and obviously he, he has won before, but, uh, you know... W- Sometimes you do make these changes for the sake of making changes. Um, I don't think Pete Carroll was in that case. I think they they saw that, you know, this is time for another facelift there. And Carroll's also pretty old. Um, You know, doesn't look it, but he is. He's been around for a long time. Um, You know, he he was a head coach. I was in high school. So, and I'm pretty old. So, you know... um, you know he uh, he he's had a, a very long run, um, you know, in the league, and I, I think that was one that did that. But you know, there's there's other things where you can talk about sticking with a coach. Now, I'm not talking about sticking with a coach like the Jets head coach who wins six games, seven games, five games. No, I'm talking about guys who consistently do pretty well. Um, you know, while there are always knocks on those coaches that they can't win a big one, those knocks are only there until they get lucky enough to do it. Because playoffs, a lot of a lot of playoffs, a crapshoot. Um, you know, a lot of it is dumb luck, right? Like Andy Reid couldn't win the big one until he finally did. Now you look at Andy Reid and go, "Well, he can't lose." Andy Reid in Philadelphia could never win the big one, ever. They would always lose when they were supposed to win. Almost always when it came to the playoffs. You know, um, they were in a weak NFC and they would never advance to the Super Bowl until they finally did and then they lost to the Patriots. The Patriots were a much better team. They should have lost to the Patriots, but, uh, you know, that's just the way things went. Bill Cowher never won in the playoffs, ever. You know, they, they would always be successful in the regular season. A lot of times get home field advantage. And then they would lose at some point in the playoffs. Tony Dungy. Great teams in Tampa. Couldn't win. You know, bringing Gruden. Gruden wins that first year. Probably more dumb luck than anything else. You know, then Gruden kind of runs that team into the ground. But, you know, couldn't win. Dungy goes to Indianapolis. What happens? They can't win. They can't beat the Patriots until they finally win one. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, when, when Cowell retired, every year it was like, oh, you got to bring in Cowell to, you know, to rebuild your team. Oh, he'd be the best coach in the world for the Giants. Coaches like that. Now, obviously, he's got the track record when people are talking about bringing him in. You don't survive 
most of the time in New York, if that's your your track record, if that's your run of like, I'm almost there, almost there, almost there, almost there, almost there, almost there. But, you know, eventually you can get there. It's kind of the Vrabel thing, I think. You know, eventually you probably get there. Um, you know, because you, you've, the first thing you have to be able to do is find ways to win in the regular season. But, you know, a lot of these guys didn't. Um, you know, and then they finally win. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, of course, you know, the legendary coaches. You know, and poor Marty Schottenheimer, never, you know, he, he never wins, right? He's, he is, like, always, always, always the, uh, the bridesmaid, never the bride. Like, he just could never do it. Um, yeah, which is too bad, you know, that he had such a great career, you know, but that, that's the, that's the other end of it, right? You've got the one end are these guys who did break through and, you know, then the other end is, uh, you know, guys who don't. So I, I think you can be patient with the coaches that are showing you some level of, um, competence, you know, year over year. That, you know, eventually maybe you can break through. These other guys who just, stay, you know, I, you know, we buy too much into these one season things. Drives me nuts. You know, even for the teams in the playoffs this year, you know, th- this is, and I, I, I hate this. I, I hate it with a passion every year. All right. Will Houston be a good football team next year. I don't know. Yeah, the quarterback looks the part. Yeah, they got a couple of players there. Playing a terrible division. I don't know. You know, the 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 coach had a great rookie campaign, so do lots of coaches. You know, the the Green Bay Packers they have a terrific coach, I think. You know, Jordan Love looked great in the second half of the season. Carson Wentz has looked great for a half a season. Ryan Fitzpatrick, multiple times, has looked great for a half a season. I don't know if he's going to be any good next year. You know, every year in the playoffs, you get these teams that come in there. And they do something. They're competitive in a loss. They have an upset win. And the TV hosts all do the same thing. They're going to be good for a long time. They'll be back. Don't worry. They'll, they'll be back. I'm still waiting for Mark Sanchez to get back. I'm still waiting for Blake Bortles to get back. I'm, I'm still waiting on those guys. I'm still waiting on all these teams that, that I heard this about that they'll be back. Like, they'll be back where? Like, on the field next year? Yeah, they'll be back on the field next year. You know, there's not that level of continuity in the NFL until you know you've got, like, a superstar at quarterback. You get a superstar at quarterback, you've got a good shot. And it's still no guarantee. Right? The Saints went three years in a row without going to the playoffs with Drew Brees. With Drew Brees, I mean. At the peak of his career. I'm not talking about the Drew Brees that was having trouble throwing the football at the end. You know, I'm talking about the Drew Brees at the, you know, in the prime of his career. They went, what, seven and nine, three years in a row? You know, that that was salary cap issues, injury issues, everything under the sun. 
you know, but, um, you know, no, nothing in the NFL is guaranteed. And that's why, to me at least, these losses in the playoffs are pretty devastating. Because there's no guarantee you're going to be back again. No matter how much somebody wants to pat you on the back and say, you're a hell of a team. You're rooting for a hell of a team. You know, they're, they're really good. And they're, they're so young. They're, they're just, they're, they're, they're always, they're, 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 they're just going to be back. Man, they're going to be hard out next year. They're going to be hard out. Maybe one of them will be. Maybe. You know, but the teams come from nowhere to be competitive. And then a lot of times they go back to nowhere, um, you know, and are non-competitive. So, you know, that that just irks me to no end, um, you know, <laughs> when we do that this, uh, this time of year. But, you know, speaking of a team <laughs> that uh, – Maybe is at that point right now. Um, let's go to the Buffalo Bills. Let us take a look at Buffalo and whatever disaster that they've gotten themselves into now. All right. So we're moving on to the going slow through this American Brown Ale Burnt Caramel. Let's see how this one is. Interesting picture on here. Let's see how this one uh, this one goes. So Buffalo, um, a lot of people got upset. You know, after the games, a lot of times after the games. Um, oh, all right. Th- this one's a little iffy. I, I think it just doesn't go with the uh, mm-hmm. the last one. So. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how this one turns out after a couple more drinks from it. Um, you know, I, I put out a tweet after the game, basically like, no team is really more all in than Buffalo this year, and you know they're about fifty million dollars over the salary cap in twenty twenty four, and now they're going to have to probably double down on a pretty crappy not not a crappy team, but a team that probably is not going to get over the hump. Right? This is a team whose window really closed a couple of years ago and they've been trying to chase with this same group and you're really not getting anywhere with it. Um, you know, and if they couldn't pull it off this year where everything should have been in their favor, um, yeah, you're probably never going to pull it off. And, you know, I, I thought they did a, a terrible job coaching at the end. Um, they coached to not give Kansas city the ball back. They were too far away to do that. Um, and then stuff just broke down. It just turned into chaos. Like they, even if that's your strategy, like after the uh, first down is probably a run, you know, Josh Allen's not following that strategy anymore. You know, throwing in the end zone and then throwing a ball away on third day. Like they, it was just asinine. Anyway, triggered a lot of Bills fans. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, start writing, oh, you've got to do this. Like, why do you need to bring it up? It's like, I do this for every team. Like, okay, if I didn't stay awake till the end of the game, or if I wasn't home at the end of the game, okay, maybe I didn't go on there and tweet about, I don't know, whatever team. Houston, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't think I tweeted about Houston. And I'm sure there's a couple other teams. The Rams, that, that game was late. I 
I went to sleep that night, I think. Um, you know, I didn't tweet about the Rams. But I do it for pretty much every team. At the end of the season, I tweeted about, like, every single team and what their salary cap situation was. So it's not like this is anything different or anything new. This was not rubbing salt in the wounds of the Buffalo Bills fans. All right? You know, that, that, that salt that's being rubbed in your, in your wounds is coming from your general manager. Um, with, with what they've done in the last two years with this team. You know, I, I believe um, two years ago, putting the stuff out, I remembered saying the Bills had the least amount of turnover in the NFL. This year, I know the Bills also had the least amount of roster turnover in the NFL. When you do that, unless you're one of these wacky teams that really does have just all young guys on there, it means you are constantly doubling down on a, a, a very... Um, aging similar roster that's what you're doing and um you know the the bills gm who multiple times i've said should win executive of the year a couple of years ago i said he was the best general manager in the nfl and it was last year meaning uh 2022 when you saw that panic set in and one of the worst things that you can do in the NFL is panic. And yet yeah, there's times when obviously you got to do risky things. Um, you know, you, you've got to take chances to get better. But if you want to extend that, that window as best you can, and knowing you've got the second best quarterback in the NFL, that window should be gigantic unless you do something stupid. All right. You should be looking to extend that window and turn this into a dynasty. Will it be the, the dynasty that never gets over the hump against Kansas City? I don't know. Maybe it will be. But the minute they signed Von Miller, older player, injury history, and they signed him to this contract that's worth, uh, you know, what, $20 million a year? Let me just pull up his page. Yeah, $20 million a year at the age of 33. Okay, he had, uh, I'm, I'm just taking a look at, um, you know, his, his stats here. You know, missed all of 20, a couple of games in 21, a couple of games in 19. Um, tackle for loss numbers down somewhat. You know, he's still good. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's like he couldn't play. But, you know, you're looking at his QB hits. I don't have his pressures up right now. Um, I'm not looking those those up. You know, sack numbers, you know, down, you know, from those peak years. And you turn around in a league where, more often than not, the older pass rusher is a $10 million a year player, usually available later in free agency because they overvalue themselves and they, they don't get signed. You go in there and you go $20 million a year you fully guarantee the 2022 salary on signing. You fully guarantee the 2023 salary on signing. You partially guarantee the 2024 salary. I don't think that, I'm pretty sure that was at signing, right? And then you, you, you get another $6 million in injury protection. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you do that, it, it, that's just an incredible mistake. All right. 
And then, you know, you've done that and you go out there and you say, you know, last year, they go out there and they say, you know, something to the extent of, well, you know, um, I don't want to be the Rams. So it's not going to be like you've seen in the past. We can't go out there and do some of these things because we've got to be fiscally responsible and, um, you know, just be smart about the stuff that we do. And then they go out there and they do the same stuff. Yeah, sign a couple of free agents, do a couple of extensions, make a trade, uh, bring back some of their same older players, you know, on one and two year deals. You know, and even when we get into like these extensions that they've done, um, you know, and this is more 2022, right? It was Diggs, was Milano this year? Um, you know, a lot of those deals where the guys had like two years left on their contracts, those were really restructures that were rolled into extensions. You know, the, those were situations where the bills needed cap room and it was like, well, what is the avenues to cap room? Well, I can throw a bunch of void years on a deal if, you know, if, if my rights aren't in there, if they got to agree to it. I don't know if Diggs had those rights or not. He probably wouldn't have agreed to it. Um, you know, they become um, extensions that are in many ways forced by cap considerations, not forced by anything else. And then, you know, people want to say, well, you know, the Bills were historically injured on defense. Yeah, they had injuries on defense. It doesn't mean that they're going to come back next year and be these great players. The league doesn't work that way. Losing a year to injury, especially when a player is not in like his first or second year, doesn't mean they're going to come back and be as good as they were before. A lot of times it means they're going to be a lot worse. And you look at this Bills roster, and th this is, you know, one of the things that, you know, goes nuts. So I said, well, you know, the Bills are $50 million over the cap. And you go, well, Josh Allen's got a $47 million cap number. And you go... I think it was Field Yates put out this tweet. That was like, well, you know, with the with the the click of a pen, they save themselves. I think it's twenty three five. Let's see, twenty three one, twenty three one. It's true. They save themselves twenty three point one million. The click of a pen. Okay, that's great. You know, you, you're you're still almost thirty million dollars over the cap. And what do you do with all these other players? You know, what do you do with a Stefan Diggs? What do you do with a Von Miller? You know, Diggs looks disinterested. You know, there's $31 million dead to cut him. $27.8 million cap hit on Diggs. You restructure him. You know, his uh, his cap number the next year is already $27 million. So if you go and you restructure him... You know, you, yeah, you can save $13 million. You know, and you, you're going to push a bunch of that money to next year. You're going to make it harder to cut him, harder to move on from him. You know, so let's just pull up their cap calculator. So let's restructure Josh Allen. I'm not going to get into the whole void thing. You know, that just becomes too difficult here. Uh, let's restructure Deion Dawkins. 
uh, restructure. You know what? Let no. Uh, what do we do with Tre'Davious White? Let's cut Tre'Davious White. Let's cut. Him. And you save more. Nope. I put a post June one. Hold on. Pre June one. We're gonna cut him. We're gonna restructure Dawson Knox. We're gonna restructure Matt Milano. I'm still $7 million over the cap. I'm going to restructure. Oh, I can't. I'd have to extend Johnson. Same with Morse. Uh, let's cut Douglas, even though he's been decent enough for the team. Let's cut him. All right. Now we're $3 million over the cap or under the cap. Uh, restructure at Oliver. I'll restructure Connor McGovern. All right, so here's what I've done. I've restructured Josh Allen, restructured Deion Dawkins, cut Tredavious White, restructured Dawson Knox, restructured Matt Milano, cut Rasul Douglas, restructured Ed Oliver, restructured Connor McGovern. I've done all of that. I have $10 million in cap room. Yay. Okay, well, where am I going next? I can't cut Diggs. I'm going to lose three million. I can cut him, all right, but I'm going to lose three million in cap space. I can cut Von Miller. I'm going to lose eight million in cap space. So I have to post June one these guys. That doesn't give me any help in free agency. You know, everybody gets confused by this. In free agency, you carry a player at his cap number. So if I post June one Von Miller, I got to take Von Miller at a twenty-four million dollar cap hit. 23.8 million. I got to take Stefan Diggs 27.8. All right. Then I can post June one them and I'll save 19 million. I'll defer, you know, the rest of that money, you know, to the future. But for this year, I've done all of this stuff. All right. Dawkins is going to be 30. Knox will be 28. Milano will be 30 off injury. Oliver, 27. That's fine. McGovern, 27. You know, I can cut Jordan Poyer. Saves another five. Hardy, another four. Hines, let's cut him. That's, that's a definite. That saves you four, six. And so now you're up to 15 in cap room. I'll restructure Tyler Bass, right? Save one, seven. Uh, Leonard Floyd is a, you know, his deal is going to go. Yeah, there's nobody else with cap savings. So I got us to about $16 million in cap room without touching Diggs and Miller. And all you can do with those guys is basically post-June one them. You know, or maybe you could cut one, post-June one the other. That gives you the money to sign your rookies. Like, that's what Buffalo's situation is like. So... If Buffalo now wants to go crazy and try to extend this window again, the way that you do that is restructuring digs. You know, which is pretty crazy. It, it's like wanting to renew, it's like one side wanting to the, renew their wedding vows when the other side has already served them with divorce papers. 
you know, Von, Von Miller, that, that one's just even worse. Like, there, there's there's no way they can restructure Von Miller. Like, just no way. They, they have to hope he's suspended and voids his guarantee. I mean, there's nothing they can do. And both of these guys, decisions have to be made very early. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's not a good situation if you're Buffalo. You know, they're saving graces. They have Josh Allen. Right? But... You know, and they they play in a division that's not very good. But, you know, th- this is a team that's gone as far as they can, and they just refuse to come to groups with reality two years ago to say, you know, we've probably got to pull back, scale back for one year, focus on the draft, focus on roster building, focus on... Um, you know, getting our cap in order so we can go out there and we can start filling, you know, some of these voids. And they just went in the totally opposite direction. You know, just just terrible. Um, you know, I, I think with the way that they've done the stuff. And it's like, I, I don't know how you go from being the, the best GM in the league to this. Um, but, you know, they, they've, in essence, dug their own grave. And they should have seen this coming. Like that that's that's the thing that I don't get. Like if from a, a roster standpoint, look, you're always going to get players wrong. Everybody is going to do that. Everybody is going to have players that think are going to be great that stink. Everyone's going to have contracts that think are going to be great, they stink. Everyone's going to have contracts that they think stink, they turn out to be great. Everybody's going to have that. But when you look at it from a team-wide perspective, Anybody with half a brain that is not just like got Buffalo Bills goggles on could not look at anything that they've done over the last two years and go, that has a good chance of really working out for them. Like, you know, at least with the Rams, now they had to give up a lot for them, right? A two and a three. But at least what the Rams did when they brought in Von Miller was kind of a smart thing, right? You wait to make sure you're in contention. You wait till you're in the middle of a season to where you know specifically what your needs are. You find somebody from another team that you can bring in that's also looks like he's healthy, having a good year, and all you've got to do is get him through eight games. And you've got no future commitment to that player. You bring him in for a playoff run. Like, that's the way you do it when you're going to bring in some of these guys who are over a certain age. Not going in and signing someone to essentially a three-year guaranteed contract. Like, I don't, I don't even know why you would do that with a wide receiver at 30. Like, that doesn't make any sense. That The wide receiver career arc, like, if you get into the, the whole concept of roster building, all right, we talk about these bad football teams trying to build a roster. And obviously, yeah, everything begins with the quarterback, right? But, you know, the the other stuff that you want to get into, it's like if you want to really build something, you, you need stuff to kind of peak at the right time. You know, drafting a wide receiver in 2024, but not getting a quarterback until 2026, nothing is going to mesh there. You've wasted your wide receiver's best years. By the time your quarterback's ready to play, your wide receiver's probably on the decline. Okay. 
you know, they, you, you get into the team building, you know, just, just the general aspects of it. This is not building a sustainable, you know, structure for the future. You know, when I look at this roster and I see these massive cap hits, and at some point this year, this is the age of the, their top players right now, 28, 31, 35, 30, 29, 28, 30, 28, 32, 30, 27, 27, 33, 27, 27, 28. Okay, so now we're getting cheaper guys. Like, with those, especially with those kind of cap numbers, like, that, that's not a winning formula. Not even remotely close. I'm going to bring up Kansas City. Kansas City's numbers on top, which are nowhere near as big as Buffalo's, 29... 32, it's offensive lineman. 27, 35, Kelsey is, to me, looks done, but whatever. 27, 30 for a bust wide receiver. 27, 29. But these cap numbers I'm talking about here, so our cap numbers, all right, I should just pull these up side by side. Um, you know what, I can do that. Hold on. All right, so here are Buffalo's top guys, without the ages coming in, top 10. 47, 27, 23, 16, 16, 14, 12, 12, 11, 9.9, 9.7. That's the top 11 players. I went over those ages. Most of those guys are in their 30s. Top 11 in Kansas City. 57, 26, 9. 24 7, 15 4, 14 2 5, 14 10 4.5, 3.8, 3.2, 2.7. You cannot compare that type of construction. Okay, 32 on an offensive lineman, eh, not great, but it's okay. 35 on a tight end, not good. 30 on the wide receiver, not great, but, you know, he's going to be gone anyway. But 29, 32, 27, 35, 27, 30, 27, 29, 24, 23. I, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of twos, you know, at, at the beginning. We've got a lot of guys in the 20s, a couple of guys in the 30s, a lot of guys in the 20s. When I'm at Buffalo... And pull Buffalo's ages back up. Twenty-eight. It's quarterback. I don't care about that. Thirty-one, thirty-five, thirty. All right, now that's an offensive lineman. It's okay. Twenty-nine, twenty-eight, thirty. Twenty-eight, thirty-two. Offensive lineman. Thirty. It's a corner. Twenty-seven, twenty-seven, thirty-three. Safety. You know, it, it's too many thirties. Um. And gigantic cap numbers. And this is because a couple of years ago, um, Kansas City made that decision to not double down, not triple down. It was, we need to move on. And look, you, you can look at the Tyreek Hill move and say, 
you know, we'd be a lot better with Tyreek Hill. They probably would be. But they're good enough even without him there. And, you know, without with Tyreek Hill, that defense is probably not as good as it is right now. So, you know, now they don't have the same budget that Buffalo probably has. So, you know, again, like the Belichick discussion, maybe some of it is forced on you. But regardless of whether it's forced on you or not, you've built a roster that's sustainable over a longer period of time. Buffalo's built a roster that if they don't win now, shrug your shoulders and say, well, what are they going to do? You know, um, yeah, the other team I'll look at real quick here is the Cowboys. Yeah, that that's the other team. The, the three teams that really were the, the playoff teams that were really all in on this season were uh, Miami, Buffalo, and Dallas. Um, but, you know, I, I think Dallas is the other one we really look at. So, Dallas right now is about $20 million over the cap. Do I have their... I don't know if I have their uh, futures guys in. I think I do, um, but I'm not sure. Um, off the top of my head, I'm actually not sure on that one. But this is another one where, you know, you, you look at roster construction here, and you, you're getting into these things where you're starting to question long-term viability of a team. And this is another reason why it probably wouldn't have made sense to fire the head coach. You've got Prescott at 31, um, $60 million cap hit, basically. Zach Martin is 34, 28.5. Demarcus Lawrence is 32, 20.4. CeeDee Lamb, as young as could be, he's going to be 18. He'll get an extension. Diggs got hurt, 26, 15.4. Michael Gallup, 28. He's at 13.85. He's probably going to get cut. Terrence Steele, that's okay, 27. Brandon Cooks, 31 at 10. Iffy. Uh, Donovan Wilson's 29. He's at a 7-3. Uh, Smith is, he's a free agent. We won't count that. Parsons, young, 5-4. Trey Lance, young, 5-3. Van Der Esch, probably going to get cut, 4-4. Four, four. He's 28. That's okay, too. You know, so they have a couple of older players here where I, I think you get worried a little bit with the age. They have, they have enough young guys, I, I think, who are there, but um, you know, some of the ages on that offensive line and the guys who are going to be free agents, I, I think that's worrisome a little bit. But the, the most worrisome thing for them is Dak Prescott. Um, $59.45 million cap hit. Um, you know, it's a big number. Uh, you know, and I, I don't know what you do with that if you're Dallas. Um, he's a free agent after this season. Um, he has a no-franchise tag provision in his contract. So he can't be tagged. Um, pretty sure he has a no trade. Not, not that that matters. You know, you, Dallas is not going to go into next year. And th this is the silly talk. So I, I have an article on this on OTC. Um, you know, this is just the silliness that, you know, exists out there where, uh, you know, you talk about, you know, cutting him. Like, why Why would you do that? You You can have an honest discussion about extending him. There's no discussion about cutting him. You know, that, that that wouldn't make any sense. They, they don't have another player on the roster. You know, the, this is a prime example of why you bring in a younger quarterback. Now, some people said Trey Lance. Yeah, maybe that is Trey Lance. I don't have any thoughts on him that are positive, but, you know, who knows? I'm going to be wrong all the time. Um, but, you know, they have to make some tough decisions on him. 
Um, you know, just throwing out crazy articles out there, you know, and PFT, they, they, they've gone a little overboard, I think, with some of the stuff, with the, the speculative stuff. Maybe that's what I should do. If you guys want me to, I, I can just throw out crazy articles like that all the time. Um, you know, where it's like one day, it's like Dallas is going to be forced to extend Dak Prescott. They're not forced to extend him. He has a lot of leverage, and I think they will. They're not forced to do it. You know, then the next day it's like, well, you know, Buffalo is can't do much with uh, Stefan Diggs. Like they can, Mali, they can't do anything. You know, and then it's like, but but then they got to make a decision really quick. Yeah, that's true, they do. And then you know, it's like the Eagles have an option to trade Jalen Hurts. Yeah, the Chiefs had an option to trade freaking Patrick Mahomes. Bills had an option to trade Josh Allen after one year. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? The Eagles don't have a secret contract structure to say, well, you know, if he really sucks, we're just going to trade him this year. Like, when they got rid of Carson Wentz, part of the reason was because they felt like they had insurance on the roster in Jalen Hurts, you know, who developed for at least for a year there, and they got to look at him and say, oh, you know, maybe we can play with this guy. They don't really have that right now. You know, and that, that contract that they have with that option bonus in there, it's not the kind of option bonus that, that's a, oh, well, we're going to trade you option bonus. You know, it's not the it's not the option bonus that, um, you know, was in there with uh, Aaron Rodgers um, with the Green Bay Packers, where it was very clear that's what they were going to do. Um, my daughter is very excited, apparently, because Liv Morgan has returned. I don't know if she won or not tonight. Tonight is the Royal Rumble, for those of you who uh, don't watch wrestling, but maybe know of it. Uh, Royal Rumble is usually a lot of fun. Obviously, I'm not watching it. Uh, but my daughter must have seen something online. Um, so that's what she was texting me about. She's uh, at a play tonight. So I guess that must have been during intermission. So she's very excited about Liv Morgan returning. So... Megan's order of, uh, I think, her uh, people that she loves right now. Taylor Swift is far and away number one. You know, Megan has a Kansas City Chiefs hat. We've got a Chiefs blanket. We're, we're big Chiefs fans. We're also Jason Kelsey fans. And uh, and I can see that. The, uh, Jason Kelsey is, uh, he's what all of us want to be, right? But, um, you know, one of these years I'm going to show up in Sea Isle City. I'll, I'll be way too old to be showing up there that early in the morning. But uh, one of these days I should do that. Um, used to go there all the time when I was younger. The Ocean Drive, that's the, the place they go to. Um, but I think number two on her list is Liv Morgan. Um, she likes the, a lot of the, the women wrestlers. Um, but she, she really likes Liv Morgan. So anyway, I guess she's excited that she's back. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, the Jalen Hurts stuff, you know, that's it, throwing that stuff out there, which just gets everybody online, you know, going, you know, ridiculous with the stuff. And it becomes a pain because the way I present the, the dead money is not going to be accurate in that regard. Now, Florio's article in that regard for Hertz was not accurate either. Uh, he said it's about 18-3. Um, 18-3 is the net, um, but that's after you get a credit the following year. The, the actual dead money be like 23. 
um, you know, they, they would have to account for the option bonus. They get a credit the following year because they didn't exercise it. But, you know, it, it's like just throwing that stuff out there for the sake of doing it. But the Prescott thing, I, I think that's an interesting discussion. Um, you know, and yeah, I brought that up. but And it's a question of, you know, how much cap does Dallas feel they need? Because Dallas should be able to create the space by doing the C.D. Lamb extension. Um, and Dallas is not a team that goes into free agency and does much. No, I think they should. Um, you know, I think Dallas is at the point where they do have to take risks. I'm not saying you, you take a risk where you're signing a, a 33, 34-year-old pass rusher to a uh, $20 million a year contract. But, I mean, by taking a risk, you actually go into free agency and sign a couple sign a couple of guys for like $12 bucks a year. You know, we're in their mid-20s, you know, mid to late 20s. You know, you, you have to, at some point, say, well, what we have isn't working. You know, and, and make some kind of change fundamentally the way you do business. Um, let me bring up my article on Prescott here. Um, you know, basically, you know, what it boils down to here... When we, we get into Dak's numbers. So if they let this contract play out as it, as is, he'll have a, 40, a $59.45 million cap hit this year. Um, next year, he'll have a $36.46 million cap hit when he becomes a free agent. And you won't really get any compensation for him. You'll get a third-round pick a couple years from now. And that that's the thing that stings the most, right? Because Russell Wilson brought back a ton Um you know, other guys brought back a lot. So the only way that I think it would make logical sense to extend Dak Pre- uh, Prescott, Dak Prescott, I think, is if you went in there, you did a moderate signing bonus. So he's not going to get much of a raise over what he's already earning this year. Um, now, he has a lot of leverage. So I don't think he would agree to this. But you would do a deal like that. It would not have a no trade clause in it. <laughs> You know, you, you would basically have something in there that gives them a little bit of a bump in salary. And essentially what you're doing is you're paying for the to have the right to be able to trade him next year versus losing him as a free agent. And I didn't mention this in the article. I thought that was just getting way, 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 way too much into speculation. We can do that on a podcast. It's silly to do, I think, writing it to just be like, well, you know, this is this is crazy scenario kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I think if you were going to consider extending him, um, you know, for the purpose of the optics of losing him for nothing, extend him this year, but you cannot give him a no trade. And you can't do like an obscene signing bonus of like $80 million dollars. Like, uh, Prescott is set to earn, oh, how much this year? 2024. He's set to earn 34. You want to give him an extra 20 million, make it 54? That's fine. Give yourself a window to where you could trade him in 2025 or 2026. Especially if you do have to make a change at coach. Don't force the quarterback who's, you know, an older He's a, you know, early 30s should be okay for a quarterback. I think he's an older early 30s quarterback. Um, 
you know, don't force him on a new head coach. That's probably not fair. Um, but you don't want to just get a third round pick back for him. So I, I think it's a scenario where you can justify paying him an extra 20 million bucks if you think in turn you can get that first round pick and maybe a second round pick or two ones from a desperate team. You know, the things Prescott can still go. I, I I can justify throwing an extra 20 at him. And whatever that salary might be even in 2025 if you want to keep going that way. You can justify that. That's not the way teams work, and I doubt he would do that. So, I mean, I, I think this is more of a... Um, more of like one of these where you would say, well, you know, in, in the ideal world, right? Yeah, you go to engineering and then, you know, everything is like, well, you know, under the, the perfect circumstances, you know, and the, you know, all that nonsense um, that the, the first day you get a job, you're like, oh, well, I guess that stuff does, isn't really accurate. Um, you know, that that's kind of what this discussion is, if you were doing something like that. But that's the way that you kind of protect your your investment, I think, a little bit. But, you know, otherwise, you know, I, I don't want to get into a situation where I'm forced to extend him, you know, by restructuring him to the point where I'm like, man, I'm going to take like a $50 million cap hit if I don't extend him next year. I better just extend him. And then having him be like, no, I'm not going to do it. And you not having the ability to franchise tag him or anything else, like that doesn't make sense. So, you know, Dallas's path here is basically do what I mentioned, which is probably not going to happen. Um, I think that's a little too out there. But it's basically they have to make a decision this year. You know, are they convinced that Dak Prescott is going to be their guy? If they're convinced that Dak Prescott is going to be their guy, extend him. Take that $34 million he's owed this year, roll it into the guarantee, and don't go down this stupid route of, you know, having zero leverage um you know next february and march when you're trying to extend them like just just do it now just get it over with get get the pain over with all right otherwise you know you probably should just let things play out you know if you think that this is a a capable roster of you know winning the championship um, you know, just don't do it. You know, go out there and say, all right, you know, we're putting best foot forward. We're going to give it one last shot. And if it doesn't work, well, the head coach is fired. And we're probably going to make a change of quarterback. And we're probably going to move on from, you know, Zach Martin, we're going to move on from Demarcus Lawrence. You know, we're looking at 2025 here. Uh, Martin's a free agent, actually, at that point. And Dallas held firm on that, right? They gave him a raise um, this past year, but didn't, uh, you know, extend, extend him. You know, Lawrence, you know, he had taken a shorter, he had taken a pay cut, but Dallas guaranteed it. Um, you know, you look at 2025, you look at the the top charges on here. You know it's thirty six million dead for Prescott if he leaves, thirteen million dead for Zach Martin if he leaves, seven million dead for Demarcus Lawrence if he leaves. That that one's probably more of a given. 
I would think Gallup will be gone before then. I would think Cooks might be gone before then. Um, you know, essentially what I, I think what you're doing, if you let these numbers play out and, you know, obviously th these numbers are going to change, right? Like CeeDee Lamb is going to be on an extension. Um, Parsons will be on his fifth year option, I think, at that point. Um, you know, but even with those contracts voiding, if they leave things as is, you know, Dallas would probably have... 55, 56 million in cap room with an ability to create a little bit more. Um, so, you know, I, I think if you look at it from that perspective, I, I think Dallas, you know, should have this eye on like, okay, 2024 is our last year. Like this is, this is it. No matter what, this is it with this group. And I'm not going to go crazy with uh, Dak Prescott and, you know, do anything stupid, uh, you know, in the long term because I, I'm looking towards my future and my future might not have Dak Prescott in it. You know, and you can restructure contracts as many times as you need. All right. So if Dallas needs to restructure Prescott, he's got a $29 million base, $5 million roster bonus, you know. If you need some cap room right now, take the five million, convert it. Doesn't really add much to the damage in 2025. Save a couple of million bucks. If you're actually going to be active in free agency, convert as needed. Convert nine million, eight million. Maybe in the summer you got to convert another ten. You do it in increments, multiple times over the course of the year. If you really need the cap room, otherwise leave it be. Just leave the contract as is and be prepared to walk away next year. You know, if you turn the keys over to somebody else and they don't want to have Prescott. You know, I think you want to leave it up to the head coach or at least have the head coach um, help steer you in the direction that you want to go. And he has time to do it. You're going to hire a head coach by February. He's got all of February and half of March. To, to work with Prescott on doing a deal if they really want to go in that direction. So, you know, I think it's a real interesting one. I think that, um, look, if Dallas has to extend him, he's going to make $60 million a year. I, I don't think that that is, um, I don't think that's a question. You know, I, I think the, uh, the price is not a question if they do end up extending him. Um, but, you know, all the other stuff, you know, in my mind, is kind of in Dallas's court if they allow it to be. And they have to make that decision as to uh, what they do. All right, let's get on to our Twitter questions here. All right, um, let's see, we're moving on to the Royal Standard Wee Heavy Ale. See how this is in a minute. You know, I'll put out one last uh, call for podcast questions. One of these days, I will uh, do a live session. We'll we'll do something. I, I know I did Twitter Spaces in uh, in the past. Um, yeah, I'll do something on YouTube. See, uh, putting something together there. Let me just uh, take a look at my email. 
I know I'd gotten some things from before. Um, and I'm, I'm going to end up missing most of those. But I think there was something about Chicago that was maybe just from last week. Yeah, there it is. I'm looking at my phone. Um, Riz? Riz? I'm not sure how, uh, how to pronounce it. Uh, you've already said the Bears should draft a quarterback and keep fields, which I agree with. Hypothetically, if they did go that route, I'm assuming this is a podcast question at least. Uh, what were their options for the offseason in 2025? Uh, what would they be able to do with fields, tag and trade, potential trade? Made the argument that even if they could get a second for him before the draft, that opportunity costs worth holding on him as a bridge to see if he finally emerged. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you would you would basically be tagging him, right? Um you know, you, you would uh, you would be able to go in there and you would be able to um, franchise tag him, um, you know, is what you would do. You know, it would be very similar to, you know, bringing up a, a old Patriots situation, um, you know, going in there when they had Matt Castle that came in for the one year when Brady was hurt and played pretty well. Um, they franchise tagged him with no intention of him playing on the franchise tag, right? They um, they basically had him just for the purpose of trading where they traded him to Kansas City for, I believe it was a second round pick. Um, oh, that's pretty good. Um, so I, I think that it would be a similar scenario where they would do that. So, you know, what the value would be would probably be pretty dependent on how well or how not well that Fields played. Um, you know, the the thing with Castle, which is different, is, you know, Castle played fine, but you had Brady, who now at that point was established, you know, as an MVP-level quarterback. Um, you know, he, he was just established at a very high level. So... That would be a little bit different than Fields because I'm assuming if they tagged him for the purpose of trading him, it would mean he probably didn't have a great year, but not a terrible year. Um, so, you know, I, I think the upside would probably be a two in that scenario. Uh, but, you know, I, I could see that also being a situation where they may look at it and say something along the lines of, um, you know, we're worried that we're going to get stuck with him at $30 million. Um, so, you know, that, that's the, uh, you know, that, that, that's the only thing with it. So I, I think that makes it a little hard to, you know, kind of project, um, you know, just because of that, because, you know, it, it's hard to say what scenario would there be to where, he would play well enough to get tagged to where other teams in the league would still see him as a viable option, but Chicago would say we'd rather turn to the rookie. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure on that. Um, you know that that that's the only thing there. All right. So let's get into our questions on Twitter. Angry Rob has a question here. How many day two picks out of four are the commanders going to or should spend on offensive line? What about free agent offensive line? Um, Cosme is the only likely starter that should remain. So, yeah, they, they need... Um, I don't know why this isn't in my main list of questions. Maybe, maybe it'll show up again. I, I don't know how they 
Twitter does their stuff half the time now. Um, so I think, it, and you know, this this probably gets into to a lot about team building. So first of all, free agency this year is not great. Um, there's a couple of good guards who are going to be available. Um, I don't think any of them are, you know, with the exception of Zeitler, who's not, I don't think that's the kind of player that Washington's looking for, right? He, that's more of a playoff team safe bet. Um, you know, there's a couple of guards, you know, but they're, they're not, nothing is, a, I think, a sure thing. Um, you know, but uh, I think that in general, when you look at building a football team, um, and again, you know, what I mentioned before about, you know, a lot of guys kind of peaking at the same time. Jake, you want to come say hello? No, Jake is in hiding for that. You sure? No, drink him water. All right. Um, Jake, this is pretty late for you. Yeah? All right. I know, it's Saturday. I know. So, you'll be tired tomorrow. Um, anyway, the... Um, the thing is, I think if you want to probably buy into something that can be good for a long period of time and give you some kind of just fundamental base to be okay as a football team, like not be awful, you know, it is probably building that offensive line. And if you can build that offensive line, that actually is one of those units that can give you multiple years in the league. Um, especially if the guys hit, right? Because it's a position where the players last for a longer period of time. It's very different than in other positions. So when you're a team that's completely kind of devoid of offensive line talent and you're just trying to stabilize yourself as a team, um, I think there's probably a lot to be said out of, you know, trying to find in those middle rounds, you know, your starting guards and centers, starting right tackle, starting guard, starting center. You know, I, I think it makes, I, I think it's a reasonable um, choice to say that, okay, out of four picks um, that we have there, we can justify using two or even three, even on offensive linemen. You know, now, you, obviously there, there's other things that you, you might want to do with those picks, depending on who's there and, um, you know, other aspects that you, you can kind of select players on. But, you know, I, I think there are reasons why you can justify doing that um, when there is an absence of other positions. Now, if you're talking about having an opportunity to um, improve, you know, pass rusher, um you know, I, I'd probably lean pass rusher. Um, obviously, quarterback. You know, but that that's not that's more of a you know first round kind of target. Wide receiver could do it. You know, if you if you're getting a rookie quarterback, I think you could do that with a wide receiver in the second round as well. Um, you know, but you know, I, I think it's reasonable to. You know, to go in there with those round two, round three picks, um, you know, and use them on, you know, somebody who maybe can play one tackle for you and project to a left side later on. 
someone who's uh, maybe projects to be a higher level guard, maybe. Um, you know, center, uh, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, you know, center is probably a little bit more of a day three. Um, even another guard would be a day three. So it, it would probably be at the most two um, that you would use. But I, I think that there there's a, a reasonable, um, it's a reasonable approach to do that for a team like Washington that is just kind of empty overall, um, you know, and doesn't have that quarterback in place yet. You know, I, I kind of like the idea of getting some other parts in place and then trying to fill those other pieces in later on. And I, I think that um, I, I think that that's probably a, a fair way for them to do it. Captain Buccaneer, how are the Saints going to get under? Same way they do every year. You are going to take every player on that roster, bring them down to the minimum salary, and uh, redo it. Um, you know, restructure their deal. Uh, I did a podcast on them. A couple of months ago, I think, where we went through that stuff. You know, it's just bad. It, it's like for they, they had to redo Winston so they could June want him versus having his deal void out. I think they had to pay him an extra hundred thousand dollars to do it. I know the I know with Michael Thomas they paid him an extra two hundred thousand. I think Winston's an extra hundred. I could be wrong, but I, I think that's what they did. Um, you know, but uh, it, it's. You're going to take this roster that's the oldest roster in the league, and you're going to double down on it again. And, you know, they're, they're just going nowhere. They're just going around in a circle. And, you know, they're going to be a team where even if they make it one year, hey, oh, I told you so. If they win a Super Bowl, then it's all worth it. If they don't, it's like, what'd you do? You got a wild card and nine and eight? Great. And more power to you. Um, G Black, thoughts on the Texans and Stroud? I, I think Stroud is really good. Um, obviously, a lot of promise. It's one year. You know, you, you always wait and see, um, you know, with the, the way things work out. I think it looks like the real deal. I, I thought that in watching him against the Ravens, uh, and I think I made this comment on, I definitely made the comment on Twitter, that, um, it was very similar to what the Jets did. They didn't let him have big plays. And without those big plays, I, I think he was much more limited in what he could do. Now, the game against the Jets was also in bad weather. Um, but I think it was like they didn't let it just become like a wide-open game. And I think I thought that's what the Ravens did. They kind of kept everything in front and made you kind of go with these longer drives and... He really wasn't capable of doing that. He's a rookie. Um, you know, so I think that the step for him is, you know, to, to kind of get to to that point now. Now where you, you're going to go, you're going to take the offseason, and you're going to work on, um, I think, probably being a little bit more complete. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I watch a lot of Houston Texans games. All right. I'm, you know, Troy is the guy to ask for that. Right. Like I would expect, um, you know, Troy at Texans cap there to, uh, you know, be sitting there and watching a bunch of Jets games. I don't know why I watch a bunch of Jets games, um, but, you know, it, it's not like I watched Texans a whole bunch. But in the bits that I watched of them, um, you know, when you could get these these games that were kind of in that good weather, indoor environment, 
where you've just got like a wide open game in front of you, he played incredibly well. And I think the the next part of it, it it's just part of the learning process. Um, so I, I'd be very positive, you know, obviously on his future. Um, you know, and so I, I think the next step is to see where they develop from here. As a roster, I mean, they still have a lot of work to do. You know, they're still like a piecemeal roster. It's like they're, they're still, it looks to me like they hit on their first two picks. You know, but this is a team that was bad for a long time. They don't have really any kind of core in place other than like those two. And, you know, Collins has been good. I shouldn't say, you know, beyond that. But, um, you know, they, they, they have to do more. They, they can't keep doing this stuff where every year they have to go and add 30 guys in free agent. 30 guys, maybe not 30, but like 15 guys in free agency just to fill a roster out. KG, are offense and defensive coordinators able to just walk away from a current contract to go to another team? Um, not really. Uh, I don't think that they're... They, they can't be blocked from a promotion... But I, I don't believe that they, they have the ability to just go to another team. You know, I, I think they uh, those have to be mutual decisions, um, you know, such as Philadelphia's, right? Like they uh, they fired their defensive coordinator. He goes to uh, Miami. Or no, I'm sorry. Miami goes to Philadelphia um, is the way that that worked out, not the not the other way around. Um, you know, that that's how that is. You know, Philadelphia, that that's a hot seat job. Um, them, the Jets, Dallas, they're all hot seat jobs this past, this next year. Um, but yeah, you, you, you have to, uh, you know, go to some kind of decision on, uh, on that. They, they have to come to some kind of agreement. Uh, Jeff in Tokyo, if Kirk Cousins leaves the Vikings in free agency, what are the draft compensation effects? Assuming he gets paid above 30, is it a third, fifth rounder or a big goose egg? Um, it's going to be either a third or a goose egg at that point. So the quarterbacks don't qualify for that rule that caps you off at a fifth rounder, even though they're, they've been in the league a long time. But you have to be very careful to protect the fact that, you know, he goes to another team. Um, you know, if Cousins didn't get hurt, I think he'd go to another team. I think he's going to be back in Minnesota. Um, general manager has already said like he'd love to keep him, and they've shown zero inkling that they are willing to redo anything with that team. Um, whether that's on him, whether that's on the owner, I have no idea. But uh, I think Cousins will be back. People's champ. Uh, with the way the Ravens have drafted the past few years, center, safety, traded for a linebacker, will teams reconsider draft prioritization? PPA versus best for cap reasons. Um, I don't think teams really consider that in there now. Um, you know, it, th this gets to, you know, a lot of these arguments here. So, you know, you, you take the Ravens, for example. Now, the Ravens are a team that, you know, that they had a, obviously, a quarterback in place, um, you know, already with Lamar Jackson. So that, that kind of changes sometimes the way that you can do stuff. But in general, no. I mean... When you get into the Ravens thing, or you get into Detroit, like a lot of the things are, well, you know, Detroit got really lampooned for taking a running back and a tight end one, two. And it's like, 
Yeah, because what you've done is you've left yourself no margin for error. And I, I don't care who the general manager is. When you want to say like, well, you know, you go in there now and, you know, I'm kind of pulling for Detroit. But, uh, you know, Detroit, you go in there and you say, well, you know, Brad Holmes said like, no, these guys are just so versatile. They're so special. You can go through the league historically. You will see those things written about 8 million draft picks in the last, uh, you know, 20 years. And about 70 or 80% of the time, those picks help lead to those general managers getting fired. So it leaves you no margin for error, right? Like, it's like the Kyle Pitts thing. Like, Kyle Pitts was supposed to be the unicorn. Kyle Pitts had to be a unicorn because of where you drafted him. Saquon Barkley had to be a unicorn because of where you drafted him. Right, these players because of where you drafted them had to be great. Now you can say that they got it right, and I'll tell you they got lucky because you know none of the none of the general managers, just like anybody else, you know, are perfect. You know, I look at the Jets as the perfect example. Joe Douglas probably got 70% of his picks wrong. Including one of the worst picks of all time in Zach Wilson. You know, of the of this new CBA era. But he got Garrett Wilson right, and he got Sauce Gardner right. And, you know, the same hyperbole that was given about Zach Wilson, the same hyperbole that was given about um, Mackay Becton and Denzel Mims and Elijah Moore and um, Vera Tuck has been hurt, you know, Hall, uh, whoever, whoever you want to say. It's all the same. Every one of those players, you know, well, you know, a lot of people are saying that, uh, you know, Denzel Mims was a bad pick. Oh, well, if you, if you, if you saw this guy play in practice, like you, you would, let me just tell you, you're just gonna be shocked. He he he's got the he's got the hands of uh, I don't know Jerry Rice. He's got the the body of Calvin. Jo- didn't have any of this stuff, but I'm just, I'm just talking about the nonsense that people that people throw out there. Um, you know, you, you're gonna be so surprised. Yeah, I'm I'm really surprised when I find him glued to the bench after one year. Um, you know the I, I, so I I don't think that that that's really. Um, I, I personally, I, I don't think that, that that really changes anything because, again, it's the exception versus the rule. So, you know, I always say in the NFL, there's risks that need to be taken. So if you want to take a risk by drafting a safety, you can go ahead and do it. It's easier to take a risk when you've got certain positions already filled than when you're a completely rebuilding franchise. Um you know, and even the linebacker trade where we look at that, part of the reason why they had to make that trade was because they drafted a linebacker that they didn't think was working out. The Queens had a good year for them. They'll probably do pretty well in free agency, right? It's free agent this year, I think. Um, but that's the reason they traded for a linebacker. 
So it's almost like they used two picks to get a linebacker. You know, would their team have been better if they just didn't take a linebacker? I I don't know the answer to that question, but, you know, that that's just the way to look at it. You know, I, I don't think that you've got 32 teams. You've got in the ballpark of 256 draft picks to look at every year. Looking at one or two specific examples that goes against the grain is not really a reason for everybody to do it. It would be like as, as if you had a miracle team that always went for it on fourth down and somehow on fourth and 10 converted 60% of the time. And you were like, well, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe it makes sense to go on fourth and 10. Maybe it does when you're, you're at the opponent's 38-yard line. Um, but, you know, there, there's other spots where yeah, that, that one's probably not a high-probability play. Um, you know, to always do that. So, you know, I, I think that that's just something that you, you have to look at and you've, you've got to take the, um, everything into consideration, um, you know, with those positions and, you know, what you do. Nick, uh, not sure if he would, but is it possible to see Bill Belichick take a year off coaching and see what kind of positions are available next year? Some interesting vacancies. Um, Belichick is not taking a year off. Belichick is being forced to take a year off. So I don't think I don't think Belichick won't put his name out there next year. Um I don't know if there's going to be a team that jumps at him. But I I don't think this is going to be Belichick uh picking and choosing. Um, I think this is going to be more along the lines of Belichick um, having to wait to see if there's a team that's interested in him. I, I think it's more that. Uh, what a fun guy. Why isn't analytics used more on the roster construction side in the NFL? Thomas Dimitrov talks about this quite a bit, but curious for your thoughts. Um I'll just give a plug real quick. Obviously, they have a terrific podcast that uh, I like to. Li- I'd love to listen to it live. Um, I always miss it when it's not live. A lot of times, and it's so dependent on the kids' schedule as to uh, when I get to uh, to jump on it. It's a it's a it's a great podcast. Um, he gives a. It, it's really cool. So yeah, I'm just gonna. I'll, I'll give a Sumer Sports plug here. Um, it is really cool to get a perspective of someone who has been at that level in the NFL. Um, one of the things that is, that's my, one of my favorite things that I, that I've gotten to do out of this fun little hobby of, uh, over the cap, um, has been through the years getting to meet or talk with email with general managers and cap people. It just always, you know, it always blows my mind when I get an email from someone um, that runs a team or that I discuss something with somebody who ends up running a football team. Um, you know, and obviously the cap cap side of it as well, if it's somebody that's, you know, director of football admin and all that stuff. Um, 
I love it. Like it is just to me that that's like a mind blowing thing. You go and meet someone. They're like, yeah, we know your website. You know, screw you for saying this. You know, kind of stuff. Like it is. Um, it, it's really cool because it's it's like I fall in this weird weird little grouping. Um, there's probably not a lot of us, but there, there's some of us where it's like you're not really media. You're not totally a fan. You know, the jet side of it is more of a fan thing. But, uh, you know, it, it's like you fall somewhere in between. Like, really, you're kind of doing stuff that's very working in the NFL kind of stuff. But not exactly. It, it's like it, it's really it's really interesting, um, you know, to kind of be in that position. But, you know, having him go on a podcast and Eric does a great job. I think with leading the discussions and getting, you know, getting him to open up about certain things and discuss certain things and all that stuff. Um, I love it. You know, I, I think it is absolutely great. Um, but I think we don't get into analytic. Look, you barely get into analytics into anything except for like fourth down decision making. Um Getting into analytics about draft picks when you've got this massive scouting staff and you've got general managers who, for the most part, used to be scouts and you're trying to tell them like, okay, yes, you think this guy is an absolute A. Let's look at historically what all these players drafted have been like at this position you know, in this range. Or, you know, let's um let's take a look back and see, you know, what what difference did these these players make to the overall impact of an organization? Or, you know, what kind of a bump in value should you be giving to position A, B, C, and D, you know, compared to all these other ones? And it's even just as simple as the charts that I put up every year where you look at, you know, if we look at the high-end salary scale, percentage of players basically on extensions that are in like the top 10, top 15 in a position versus free agent availability. That absolutely should be playing into your draft picks. If there is a position that I can readily get in free agency, and I know I'm not going to have as long of a time with that player, right? I know that might only be a two or three year window. But if I can get a linebacker in free agency and I can't get a pass rusher in free agency, why the hell would I have a linebacker and an edge rusher graded similarly without taking that into account? Like that doesn't make any sense. Zero. Because there's one position I can go in there and I can get the fifth best linebacker in the league as a free agent. Every year. Every year I can go in there in the dra- uh, in free agency. Odds are. Odds are. And I will get a player that is within $5 million of the top paid player in the league. But if I try to get a pass rusher in free agency, I won't find anyone within $15 million of the top paid pass rusher in the league. You have to take that into account when you you give your draft grades. 
I don't care if this linebacker is a 90, can't miss, and the, the, the pass rusher is an 80 with question marks. 80 with question marks is probably more, it, it has a better chance of making you a better 53-man team than the 90 lock where I can't get an edge rusher in free agency. I'm going to have to go and I'm going to trade, you know, trade away a second round pick to bring in someone like a Montez Sweat or someone like that. You know, or I'm just not going to find anyone at all. But I, I think the main reason is we invest so much in scouting, but we don't invest in the other stuff, whether it is analytics whether it is salary cap analytics or salary cap management. There's teams that do, all right? Um, but I, I think that's the main reason why we don't invest in it. It's not like we invest a ton in scouting, but we have a lot of guys. What I mean by we don't invest a ton, like you probably expect them to work for free, close to it. But, um, you know, I think that's the main reason. And, you know, you, you see these scouting reports, and I've seen scouting reports before. You know, they come in. And that, that's basically what they, it, it's a lot of it, even, even at the team level, it's all cookie cutter boilerplate, the same stuff you see on, like, you know, fluid in the hips, got this, got this, got this. You know, I'll give him a five here, this there, this there. It's like, you know, the, the, if it was perfect, if you could find me the perfect general manager that's a perfect record of draft picks, you know, say, okay, that guy's on to something. But there aren't any. There's none. So, you know, but I, I think that's really what it boils down to is the majority of the front offices in the NFL are built off of scouting, and that will never change, ever. Andy, any chance Dallas tries to sign Lance to some kind of Jordan Love type deal to protect them in case they can't get a deal, uh, Dak deal done? Um, the only way Dallas would do that is if they somehow thought Lance was great. Um, but I don't think, I, I think Lance was mainly their emergency quarterback, right? I'd have to look it up, but I feel like he was their third quarterback. So unless I'm wrong about that, um, I don't think that they would do that. Now, maybe this is some brilliant plot by Dallas to, to just try and sign him to an extension that's like $8 million a year. You know, as like a high-paid backup. Um, but I don't think so. My, my feeling is he's the third-string quarterback because he's the third best quarterback on the team, which is not a good thing. All right, Mark. Uh, I was looking at Jalen Hurts' page. Seems to me when the contract voids, the Eagles should be looking at $97 million charged that year, but it shows several more years of charges. If he were to decide not to extend, what would the cap hit to the Eagles? Um, man, that that's a tough... So what the Eagles have done with Jalen Hurts is they have all these options built into the contract that they can pick up, not pick up, trade away, not trade away. Um, so I believe the way that I wrote this, um, 
No, definitely. So I, I did this properly. So all these numbers, if you're following along on YouTube, all these numbers that are in other bonus column, uh, starting in 2026, you'll see a 9.9 .9 charge. Um, you know, it'll be 19.88 the next year, 29.81 the next year, and so on. Those are all option bonuses that are not guaranteed in the contract. Um, so if the Eagles get to the point where they do, in fact, exercise these options and he gets to uh, 2028, his cap number, if that deal voids out, will be 97.5. So, you know, this is an, Jalen Hurts' contract is basically like a giant flow chart. If this, then this. If this, then this. You know, it's like, the you know, choose your own path as to what it'll be. But if it actually played out and got to 2029, um, it'd be $97.5 dead if they did not extend him. So this deal is basically set up to do two things. Either trade the player. Um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm on the... Uh, the Florio talk now. These numbers are not going to be right on trading on the front end of the contract. They're right on trading when we get to 2026. They're not right for trading in 25 and 24, um, simply because they have options that are there that I've already thrown into the prorated because they're guaranteed. Um, so basically, it, it's a contract that's designed to be traded in either 2025 um let me see what the trade is in 26. Yeah, probably a trade in 25 or to extend him. I mean, there's really no middle ground, I think, on that. Um, and I, I would think the, the trading possibility in 25 is pretty limited. Eddie, are we going to continue to see void years and upcoming free agent contracts and give a brief high-level overview of void years? So... Um, you know, void years are basically a mechanism to drive cap charges down. Uh, the NFL allows you to prorate money up to five years. Most contracts nowadays, with the exception of extensions, don't run five years in length. So to get that maximum proration, you throw a dummy year in there, what's called a void year, um, you know, to park some of those salary cap numbers. Um I think that'll continue because a lot of times when teams are signing players, you're trying to get that cap hit as low as possible. So I think void years absolutely have a place in the NFL. There was a time when I didn't think they did at all. After seeing the way things played out, I think they do. But I, I think you just have to be careful with it. You can't get to the point to where everybody is, you know, voiding out at the same time and stuff like that. Um, but basically, the high-level overview of it is that they're, they're years to park salary cap charges. And if you don't extend the player, you'll have to pay the bill, um, you know, for that uh, at a later date. Um, you know, you'll get all those charges. Basically, you're buying on credit. You know, that's, that's what it is. You've got this low monthly payment. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it would be similar to... Um, you know, something like an adjustable rate mortgage, right? It's like you've got these low payments early on, but you might end up with a uh, a massive number, um, 
you know, a bigger jump at some point, you know, unless you restructure your mortgage. And in the case of this, it would be, you know, extending the player contract. Logan, uh, what factors do you or other sites take into consideration when trying to come up with a contract prediction for an upcoming free agent? Uh, I've seen some projections for Kurt's contract and they seem a little low to me. So, you know, usually what you look at are, um, as best you can, you know, prior comparable players. Um, you know, you adjust that for either salary cap or market growth. Um, you know, and you, you take into account you know, injuries and stuff like that. Um, you know, Cousins, it, it, Cousins is not a player that, to me, screams like high-level potential. Um, you know, and I, I think that that's a, a negative for him. Obviously, the Achilles is a negative for him. Um, I still think he's probably going to be your number one or number two ranked free agent this year if he gets there. Um but I think his salary level is probably going to be pretty similar to what it's at now. I think he'll probably get two years guaranteed. Um, you know, I, I think that's how it'll work. I think it'll be a two-year deal, all guaranteed. Um, but, I mean, that that's most of the stuff that you, you take into consideration. And, again, you know, when you do projections on things, you're going to be somewhat right on some players, and you're going to be very wrong on others. You know what happens? All you can do is take into account what you've seen in the past. And, you know, you, you can try to take into account somewhat team needs. And for a position like quarterback, you can take that a little bit more into account because there's so few players available and so few teams that are needy. Um, you know, but you, you can uh, you, you can look at all those, those different things, excuse me, to try to uh, come up with a number. All right, we are moving into our IPA with orange peels here. Aurora, orange Alice. All right, see how this is. This is going to be a very different taste than what I've been drinking, but we're on the fifth day of Christmas. I don't know. Um, just running through these. Okay, that's very good. So I would say this is the best one. And it didn't take any uh, getting used to for uh, it's a pretty big, it's a very different than the other couple that I've had. Maybe this is the fourth one. Um, all right, AJ. Jason, can you do a quick dive into Bill's salary cap and how you would go about addressing it, assuming they can't get out of Miller or Diggs this year? Um, you know, so obviously I went into the players that are there before. Um, if it's me, I'm going to cut Von Miller. Uh, I'm going to eat that cost. Um, I still have that tab open. Um, I see Jacob is... I can't believe Jacob is still awake. This is what happens when dad is the only one at home. We let the kids stay up late. He's busy playing Fortnite and very upset about somebody probably shooting him. Talking about hacking. Um, anyway, Von Miller here. Um... I'm gonna lose eight seven. I'm probably gonna cut him now. I might I might post June want him, um, you know, hold him at that number. I'll open up six seven. Uh, that gives me enough to sign my rookies. I think that that's probably what I would do there uh, because th there's no upside with Von Miller. Like there there is no reason to still have Von Miller on the team. Zero. 
It was a it was a bad deal. It was a a very low chance um you know deal of working uh low probability of working and you know it, it came out on the the worst possible way that it could um so i think you move on from that i don't know what you do with digs i don't think digs has much trade value um i don't think digs is going to be happy there um now may, maybe maybe it's different you know, maybe whatever we saw didn't look um, look great, but maybe it was fine. Maybe he's really hurt, whatever it is. Um, in no way, shape, or form am I restructuring this deal because it, it just makes it harder to, to cut him the next year. Um, you know, what's his cap hit the next year? 27-4, dead at 22-2. I don't need to make that go higher. So I need to make that decision. Am I either getting rid of him this year um, or am I getting rid of him in 2020? Excuse me, 2025? I, I'm i not really sure what I would do, um, you know, in that case, but I wouldn't touch his contract. Let's put it that way. I am not going to create cap room in Diggs' contract for the purpose of signing some guy who makes $6 million a year. I'm just not going to do it. Like it, it just, it doesn't help you in any way, shape or form. Jake, how many first round picks is too many for a rookie quarterback that you're very confident in? Um, I don't like using the confident part because you shouldn't be confident in anything when it comes to that stuff. I think the, the, See, the quarterback is so valuable and the contract is so valuable that I I think two first-round picks, maybe maybe you can even throw something else in there, um, I think is worthwhile. And by two first-round picks, I'm not talking about one being a pick swap. I'm I'm talking about, you know, two future first-round picks being okay to, to probably throw in there. I think that's okay. Um, you know, j- just because you you can't you can't come across those players, um, you know, all the time. Now, uh, that is still a lot to give up, though. But it, it, you see, if it hits, it's worthwhile, and it's just it's very hard to hit. Um, here's the thing. I think you're almost better off in that Bills Chiefs kind of scenario where you're probably giving up one pick and not getting the best prospect in the draft. That's probably better than doing what the Panthers did last year to get the number one overall pick, um, you know, and kind of go from there. But, you know, I I can understand that logic. So, I mean, like last year when the Bears made that trade, when you do the numbers on that, like the Bears make out awesome. Like there's there's no negative really to what the Bears did. Um, You know, you, you might say there's some things that you would regret in terms of fields versus somebody else. 
Because you, you can't just be pigeonholed into saying, well, you would have taken Young number one. You, you might have taken Stroud number one. Um, so there might be some stuff that you regret. But in general, if you look at that trade, it's like that is a massacre of Carolina. And if you look at Carolina right now, Carolina looks massacred because their quarterback was so bad. And now you don't have these picks. Um, but, you know, the, the, the thing with that is if he does work out and you cannot close the book on him yet, all right, I know this year was awful if you're a Panthers fan. Um, next year might be very different. Now, you, after next year, you might be able to close the book on it. Um, but if he plays to the level that you would expect a first-round pick to play at, it's a very fair trade that they made where they're giving up. I, I, think, I think this was giving up a future one, a future two, and, and in his prime, you know, star-wide receiver. Um, and I, I, I think from their perspective, while I know giving up DJ Moore doesn't look great right now because... They don't have those receivers in Carolina. And Moore had a really good season in Chicago. You know, again, where, where you talk about playing into that window where you get all these guys to peak at the same time, with Moore and Young, you probably would have only had one peak year potential, and that would have been next year. After that, it probably would have been quarterback, maybe slowly rising, staying steady, wide receiver declining probably where more was in his career so i'm gonna so carolina probably doesn't look at that as much as giving up a 20 million dollar receiver um you know but whatever I, I think that you can justify giving up those two future ones if you're talking about a guy that is probably considered a top prospect um you know like that if somebody grades out like a Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence, I can understand the the concept of doing that. Um, now, I don't think Trevor Lawrence has certainly not been worth that. I don't think Andrew Luck had been worth that either. Um, but you know, guys like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, if you end up with that talent level, they they would be worth that. And you know, even though again that that's a that's a low probability of ending up with that type of player. I think because of the importance of position, I think you could justify doing it when your option is nothing. If your option is another quarterback, I think that's perfectly fine. But if your object is nothing, um, I, I think that you can justify giving up those extra picks. But it does leave you no margin for error. Nick Between Drinks, interested in how you price LeJarius Sneed free agent contract and how much that changes if his season ends tomorrow or in two weeks. Um... I think very little changes if it ends now or in two weeks. The only thing that would change is if, let's say, in, you know, Super Bowl, he has some crazy great, um, you know, game. Um, I'm trying to think of where I have him. So we should be in the premium. I think we'll have free agent rankings at some point this year. Um, I think he's in my top 15. 
off the top of my head, I, I don't remember what number I had him at, but I, I don't think unless he ends up as like Super Bowl MVP or something like that, um, I, I don't think those numbers are really going to change. Uh, Butch, I keep seeing tag and trade Huff as the strategy for the Jets. I can't see this working. The tag is significantly more than the long-term deal. He would get APY. If you were his agent, wouldn't you sign ASAP, play on the tag, and either get re-tagged or enter free, uh, re-enter free agency in 2025? It's a very interesting decision. Um, so, from the perspective of tag and trade, he was tendered at a second-round level and there was no interest in him. Now, very rarely do teams get interested in restricted free agents, but I think that if a player was not garnering interest as an RFA, it's hard to say for certain that you could definitely tag and trade the player. Um, here's the thing with the Jets and Huff, and th- this is the very hard way to value this player and I I think this this is the hard part that I have with him I think from the Jets perspective Huff is going to be looking for and getting somewhere between 20 and like 23 million dollars a year I I think that is the, the absolute number that he's going to come in at Oops. Let's fix this here. Sorry. I had uh, Jacob in the background there going crazy about Fortnite or something, and I'm sure he's still going a little nutty about it. Um, <laughs> the Huff, I think around the league, I don't know if he would be valued at over $15 million. Like, I, I was watching... Um, was it that put up? Was it Will? Um, I don't. I don't remember uh, who it was that put up. Like the, basically, it was the the Bryce Huff highlight tape, right? All the sacks of the year. There's not a lot of defenses that are going to allow him to line up, you know, in that wide alignment, because that's where pretty much everything comes from. Um you know, to attack the quarterback that way. Like, most of the stuff that he's doing, he's not lining up in any kind of, like, you know, standard every down, you know, 4-3 kind of setup or something like that. You know, it, it's like the, the, the wide alignments that are that are coming in there. Um, you know, that that's not something that's run by every team in the league. It's not really run by a lot of teams in the league. The other thing with it, and this is also from the Jets' perspective, the Jets don't use him. Like, you, if he was a 20-something million dollar player, and my projection on him still comes in at that because I think the Jets would... It'd be a PR disaster if they lost him. So you can see our, our own valuation of him comes in at around 10. Now, why does our valuation come in at $10 million? You know, the, people are going to say, oh, that doesn't make sense. Most of it is because a lot of your value for a team is availability. 
And his availability is not much, not because he's not healthy. It's because they don't play him. He played 42% of the snaps last year. Yes, he had 10 sacks, um, but he only plays 42% of the time, which means you need a lot of other players to uh, you know pick up those snaps that he's not on the field for. You can't have a guy making 20-something million dollars a year and only playing 40% of the time. Now, did the Jets only have him out there 40% of the time because they thought that might help them get a better deal? Hey, maybe. Probably not. You know, it's probably because there's limitations to his game. Now, the thing is in free agency, you might find or you almost always find a team that says, well, you know, if he can get 10 sacks with the Jets at 40% of the time, imagine what he would be at 80%. And, you know, where, where I talk about those alignments and stuff like that, there are some teams that don't pay attention to that. Um, you know, but his best fit is probably as a secondary pass rusher on another team. Would they go to $20 million on that? I, I don't really know. But I don't think they're going to trade a lot for him. Um, you know, you just saw Young go for a two. You saw Montez, uh, sorry, Sweat went for the two. Chase Young went for the late three. So, yeah, I don't think tag and trade is the option. Um, they may tag him. And the tagging, I think, is to, to prevent losing him. But I don't think the, I don't think tag and trade is the option. I think it's tag and keep or let him test free agency, keep your fingers crossed that the that one team doesn't develop and you can sign him for that $15 million a year. Because he's fine, e- even at that playing time, given that you know you have a system where he can be effective, um, you know, he, he fits in with that. But, you know... I, uh, otherwise, I, I think you just let him walk. Salary cap casualties. Can you weigh in? This is also from the People's Champ. Wow, there's a lot of players. I'm already two hours and 20 minutes in. This might take me to three. Um, all right, let's run through them. I'm not even going to look up their uh, cap charges here. Russell Wilson. Um, yeah, he's gone. Geno Smith, probably on the team. Aaron Jones, good playoff run. I would cut him. My guess is he'll redo his deal again. He'll be uh, he'll be back. Joe Mixon, I would say gone. Alvin Kamara, that's when I probably need to look at the numbers a little closer. Um, hello, Megan. Megan has returned. I'm you want to join in on the podcast? Mom, So there were complaints at the play they went to tonight. No. No. On the drive home. On the drive home. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Megan. So this has been Megan's first appearance on the podcast since Megan was probably like four and Bryce used to do the podcast with me. It's been a while. Um, all right. Alvin Kamara. I have to look at the uh, the Saints salary cap situation. Um, let me see what he's at here. Alvin Kamara. That's great, Megan. A nice that, hairspray that's the uh, thing. Hi, Jacob. 
Jacob say hi. All right, let's see. Why is the back of Jacob's neck All right, let's see. We've had enough guest appearances tonight. Um, they would gain one five by cutting him. They gain eight by restructuring. I'm actually going to lean towards a uh, restructure on that. I think Nick Chubb will be cut, even though I know they said they want him back. Um, by saying that he'd be cut, uh, I'm gonna—I'll include a pay cut in there because that's the only way he'll be back. Um, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. Mike Williams is gone. Keenan Allen is a uh, possibility gone. Um, I'm gonna guess. Ex oh gosh, um, maybe an extension on Keenan Allen. God, that seems so short-sighted, but they'll do something there. Uh, Hopkins, I'm going to say, is going to stay, maybe traded. I think Amari Cooper will stay. They'll do something with his deal. Godwin, um, let's see what Chris Godwin's numbers here. See, I, I think that uh, they're going to be a little wise with the stuff. Well, $27 million, they say. No, he'll, he'll be on the team next year. Um, Tyler Lockett, I'm going to say trade. Deontay Johnson. Um, it's Pittsburgh. He'll prob probably be there. Valdez Scantling, I mean, that's a joke, right? Like, he's going to be gone. Gallup, probably gone. Darren Waller will probably be on the team, but I, I could see justification for, uh, you know, getting rid of him. All right. Megan is very happy about this sweatshirt. Uh, Rico, 2417, would it be hard to tag and trade Huff? If so, why? So I just mentioned that. Um, you know, just to reiterate, it's the fact that you need to find a team that sees him as far more valuable than you do. Right? And it it's, gets to the point that uh, Butchie, I think that's who asked the question before. Yeah, Butch. Um, you know, before, like, if you were Huff and you got tagged and that tag values at, like, 23, 20, 24, 25, whatever the tag number is at, why wouldn't you just sign it? You know, and once you sign it, yeah, you can get traded at that number, but if another team doesn't see you, um, you know, as being worth an extension somewhere in that ballpark, like, you know, they're not going to trade for you. So... I think that that's all kind of the stuff that, that you have to factor in here. Dreadful. What do you think it'll cost the Jets to get David Bakhtiari, trade, comp, or free agent deal if he's cut? Since GM Aaron is definitely going to make that decision if he becomes available. Um, I would guess that Bakhtiari would look for a deal that was very similar to the, the one the Jets got fleeced on by Brown, um, where the Jets got desperate uh brown was what was it two years ten a year basically fully guaranteed um bakhtiari is always hurt i i i know i'm sure he's a good drinking buddy and i'm sure he can go to a hockey game in the off season and you know chug some beers on the screen everyone will go crazy uh dwayne brown was ten a year nine Fully guaranteed. 
Um, but you know, they they ended up going into that uh, you know second year on it. I mean, they could do something like that, probably. Um, I don't know. I I stay away from that, and I know Aaron's gonna run the show. But you know, you 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 gotta be you you've gotta the Jets have to do stuff that is in their best interest for the future. Now, if you want to sign David Bakhtiari and tell Aaron Rodgers, look, we're drafting a quarterback this year, um, but we'll sign Bakhtiari to make you happy, and you know we're we're gonna see what happens with the uh, the draft picks, um, you know, and see the way things shake this year. Uh, you know, that's perfectly fine. But, you know, do not let Aaron Rodgers run your team. Um, you know, I would not be confident in him playing any more than uh, one season. Yes, Megan, what uh, what what do you have to add here? Do you even know who Bakhtiari is? No. Do you know who Aaron Rodgers is? Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, okay, so let's see. So Liv Morgan has returned yes. and Bailey has won. Bailey has okay. won the Royal Rumble. And then, um, Logan Paul still won this. And Logan Paul that has won. person's back. Okay. What else happened? How about the wise man? What happened with the wise man? And then, whoever that is. Okay, is but what about the wise man? I don't know. She's not talking. No, you don't know. Okay. So, Megan is uh, keeping me updated on the Royal Rumble here. At least on the women's Royal Rumble. And That's with Logan Paul. That's so far. All right. We'll check it out in a little bit. Because the men's Royal Rumble match is just starting. Thank you, Megan. So. And they had us guess who was going to leave. It's the Royal Rumble undisputed champion. Most people think Roman Reigns is going to win. All right. The and Rock should come and wrestle on there. All right. So, if you were looking for some wrestling news, Megan's got you covered. So, there when we go. When did they come to New Jersey? I don't know, Megan, but we're not going. So, <laughs> we'll see. All right. Anyway, back to these uh, questions here. Um, Aaron Reader Barton, uh, can you explain how, explain how a retirement affects the cap if that player retires before the contract expires? Like a pre-June 1 cut, or does the team save all that cap space? So, uh, basically, it's the same as a player being cut. Um the only difference that that is here is uh, sorry, Megan, showing me some pictures. Um, good night, Megan. So uh, the the main difference here is that when the players do retire, more often than not, the the players will be willing to work with the teams for the salary cap. So using Jason Kelsey as an example, his contract is structured. Basically, his Didn't contract he is... He's going to retire. Yes, Megan. Taylor's going to be at the game tomorrow. Yes, Taylor Swift will be at the game tomorrow. I'm so excited yeah. about that. Right. You're going to wear your you Chiefs know, hat and Chiefs blanket for that game? Yeah, you know who they should invite next? Who? Wyatt Kelsey. Wyatt Kelsey. There we go. Best daughter. All right. Good night, Megan. I don't want to go to bed. All right. Well, you can go do something else. <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, you know, now his contract is designed to be a June 1 retirement. Um, but basically what happens in most of the cases for these players um, 
the team will restructure their deal if the player is going to retire to where they'll take their base salary, their paragraph five salary. They'll bring it down to the minimum that's available for a, uh, a player. And they'll tell them to, to hold off on filing all those retirement papers um, until June 2nd. So basically, if a player says he's going to retire, I would anticipate that his contract will be modified if it hasn't been already, um, you know, to where he'll have a minimum paragraph five salary. And then they will officially put the player on the retired list on June 2nd. So I would look at it as a June 1 cut um, is really what the number will be for a retirement. Colin, uh, can you complete? Uh, can you please compare the effects of analytics and scouting departments' impact on the draft process? Are they both more effective in later rounds? Do you think analytics does a better job of identifying busts and scouting a better job of identifying potential stars? That's a good question. Um, all right, let's grab another drink before we dive into this one. All right. So I believe that scouting certainly does a better job of identifying potential stars. I, I don't think that we're at the point yet um, where we can look at different uh, combine measurables and, um, you know, different things maybe within the college tape that identify um, stars. I got the uh, interesting stuff going on here. What do you have to say, Jacob, besides that? All right, welcome to uh, welcome to my world, ladies and gentlemen. There, there we go. That's what happens when you get the uh, the two kids around at the same time. Um, okay, Megan. That's thank you. Good night. So, anyway, I, I think that, um, <laughs> I, this is why I don't record upstairs. So, <laughs> anyway, I think that, um, you know, in general, when, when we look at the stuff that we do with our draft analytics, like what Brad and I did and everything else, everything is really based on scouting grades, right? It, it's all based on... Um, who we've identified as talent that belongs in the first round, second round, third round, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, or undrafteds. Um, you know, that, that is all done essentially through the scouting process. There are, um, there are certain areas where probably analytics can do some of that, where you're looking at college numbers. I think that aspect of it is probably a little bit more of in many ways working within what the scouts have determined are kind of first, second, third round, uh, third round graded players and maybe moving those players within the ranks based on um, certain things that you see. Uh, and th th there may be other areas as well where there, there's some stuff where you can look at certain kind of college statistics um, you know, college numbers or, uh, you know, different types of stuff to, to maybe try to identify 
um, certain things with certain players. But I, I think that the, I, you know, I, I personally think that the ideal way, and I, I think everything really should be married between the two things. Like that, that's, that's the thing that gets to me the most, but, um, you know, I, I think it is, you let the, the scouts who probably understand a little bit better, um, some of the things that you can look at without having to have, um, you know, some kind of numerical quantity to something. And there might be a way to do that, but I think the scouts do a pretty good job of saying, okay, this guy has the talent of a first round player. Because if if we grade those drafts, while we say we overvalue a first round pick, that's true. But on average, a first round pick is better than a second round pick, is better than a third, is better than a fourth, is better than a fifth. And that's all through scouting. So the scouts do the job of identifying, for the most part, you know, who are the good players and who are the not as good players in the draft. I don't want to say anyone's a bad player, but I, I think what they can't do is they haven't been able to f- uh, determine what makes a player a bust. Um, I think analytics can definitely play a role, probably a little bit more in that. I, I think there are certain traits that you can go back and look at. Uh, I'm not saying that I do that, but in general, I think there are certain traits that you can go back and you can look at and say, okay, this is maybe a warning, like a, a warning sign. This is a red flag for these five players that we have graded as first round talents or second round talents. I, I think you can probably do that, um, you know, with, with that kind of stuff. And I think when it comes to building that 53-man roster and building that roster that peaks together, that to me is all analytics. Like that's looking at player availability and free agency. That's looking at historical trends of a position in the draft, um, you know, where we've all agreed that the teams have given this player a first round grade, second round grade, third round grade, you know, whatever that position is, but only 9% of those players have worked out. So there's, there is a disconnect in the grade that's being given by scouts, you know, that are maybe not first round, let's say second, third round edge rushers. You know, I'm, I'm just making that up. That's not a factual statement. Um, that I know of, at least. I'm just throwing it out there. But, you know, if we look at that and we say, or whatever the numbers might be, let's say it's 20%, 30%, um, that means that overall there there is something that the scouts are missing in the process as it relates to that specific position. And, you know, we, we might want to downgrade because of that or look closer at the scouts' grade and say, okay, well, what... What with all of these players, what with those 70% of the players that busted, what what were the traits that applied to those players that were missing here? You know, so I, I think it is ultimately it's really a blend of the two things. Bob, what's the name of your podcast? Over the Cap Podcast. There you go. Uh, Brian, um, 
Ooh. All right, let's see. We're going to open up here our Galactica Denk Nebula West Coast IPA. All right, let's see. Uh, I know AV isn't one of your metrics, but I found it noteworthy that uh, PFR's most valuable seasons were most, mostly held by running backs rather than quarterbacks. Would you be able to give a reason why standout running back seasons might be considered more valuable than standout quarterback seasons? Um, I have no idea. So I've built draft charts in the past, like way in the past on AV. Um, we even had a team that was curious about that. Uh, I don't know why that would be. Um, I mean, if you go historically back where teams were built kind of around that running game, I guess I could kind of see the logic in that. Um, I can't imagine that that's anything recent because I, I think a lot of their AV, I, I thought at least, was built on um, the investments that teams put into the position. And I thought that that was somewhat financial. Um, I, I'm not really sure why that would be because there is no reason why a standout running back should be more valuable than a standout quarterback i mean even just on the basis of you know how many yards a quarterback you know can give you versus what a running back gives you like i i, I just can't even i couldn't even wrap my head around that you know the the value of a passing play you know you just think logically um, e even if our yards per attempt is say six, that's going to be more valuable than any running back. You know, no running back is going to give you six yards per touch, you know, seven yards per touch, something like that. You know, and a, a quarterback is going to do that. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know what what the logic would be um, on that other than there was an era where you had more reliance on the running game. Uh, Chris, what is the worst contract in the NFL right now? Oh, boy. That is a tough one. Um, that's a tough one. I mean, that Von Miller deal is awful. Um, let's go position by position. Um, all right, let's see. Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson's deals are terrible. Um, I think Jonathan Taylor's is going to prove to be terrible, but whatever. Um, Wide receiver. I mean, Diggs's isn't great. I wouldn't say it's terrible. Tight end. I mean, Waller's is a trade-in, so I mean, that's not terrible. Left tackle. I mean, Bakhtiari's is pretty bad. Um, guard is fine. Center's fine. 
right tackles pretty much fine. I mean, you don't really get bad, like really bad deals on the offensive line. Uh, defensive tackle deals are all pretty much okay. Edge rushers. I mean, Joey Bosa. So uh, Seth Walder, I think, was the one that put it out there about like, uh, I think he went uh, on the site, was just posting all the Chargers cap numbers. And, you know, I mentioned to him like, I can't say Joey Bosa deal at this point. Like, like I can't say it's a bad deal, but there should be a lot more talk going on right now about Joey Bosa being uh, released or traded next year. There really should be. Um, he's never healthy, so I, I don't know why um, that's not more of a uh, discussion point. Uh, let's see, linebacker. I wouldn't put any of these as like a worse deal. Jamal Adams contracts awful. Um, I don't think I'd put any of those corner contracts as awful. So I mean, basically, what you're doing is you're you're looking at Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, um. And Jamal Adams. I mean, it's probably those three. I, I think Russell Wilson. Um, uh, man, I don't know. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson. You know what? No, I, I'm going to say Deshaun Watson because both were bad trades. Um, Deshaun Watson, I mean, it was essentially a one-year, $100 million fully guaranteed extension. So uh, Deshaun Watson's is the worst in the NFL. Uh, you know, that that that's the one that I'm I'm going to give the nod to. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm going to say Wilson at first, but you know, that's what it is. All right. 13 more questions. Here we go. Steven could bill just because, uh, just because at DC for one year, just to prove he's not a curmudgeon. No. Um, so if you're saying, could he be a defensive coordinator for one year? No, I'm, no, he did no way, shape or form. Is he going to be a defensive coordinator? Um, you know, he might go and work on ESPN for a year. Uh, but yeah, no, I don't see that happening. Uh, Marvin, what's the name of the podcast over the cat podcast? Uh, Peter is Die Hard a Christmas movie. No, I, I do not look at Die Hard as a Christmas movie. Um, I don't know why that's the question being asked. Uh, I know people always ask that all the time. Not to me, but just in general. Um, I don't consider that a Christmas movie. I consider a Christmas movie something remotely about Christmas. Um, so no, I don't think so. William. Jason, would love to know how the Dolphins will be able to tag and trade uh, Christian Wilkins. Their cap is tricky. Um, I'd have to look a little closer at Miami's situation with what they do, I don't think they're going to look to tag and trade. I think their question is going to be more of like, do they extend or not? Um, let's see their calculator. You know, this is a team that'll double down. So their calculator, you know, I, I'd probably have to actually uh, make a contract up for Tua because he's probably going to get extended um, all right, so let's restructure Hill. 
Restructure Ramsey. That gets us. We're still 21 over. Um, restructure Chubb. Probably should. All right, so I have no idea how this is going to work out, but my computer just crashed. So I either just lost a uh, three-hour, give or take a little bit, uh, podcast, um, which we'll see about, I guess, tomorrow. Uh, or I'll try to salvage it. So sorry if this is going to be uh, kind of weird in between um, with the stuff. So hopefully... I, I, I think I was able to salvage most of the audio. I don't know about the video. Um, so I'll see. I may just end up putting a video without the screen in there. Um, so I was talking about the Miami Dolphins here uh, with some of the stuff they could do, I think. And that's what froze me up here. So I think it's restructuring Hill, restructuring Ramsey, restructuring Chubb. Restructure Howard. Um, all right, so I could save 17 on Tua, which I'm not going to get to. So that's 23. Um, Taron Armstead's going to end up being a post-June 1. 
simply because he's hurt. Now, he's going to get his guarantee. So I think that'll still be factored in there because that's probably what they'll bring his salary down to. Oh, but it's going to be cut. Baker, let's just say cut. All right, so that gets the Dolphins to about $38 million. So, I mean, that that's enough room to be able to tag and try to trade him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Miami is going to be one of these teams that probably has to, you know, double, triple down on just about everybody. Um, you know, so it, it's not going to be good for them. I mean, th this was really the year for them. Unless Tua takes a gigantic leap um, next year, you know th this was really a year for them, and um, you know it was a bad matchup, bad weather. Uh, you know the losing to the Bills really killed them, um, but they they probably weren't ready to you know to compete to the next level anyway. All right, uh, Stephen, if you were the oh nope sorry, uh, nope same thing. Uh, if you were the Dolphins, what would you do and why? I mean, all the way down to who would you cut, extend. Um, have you visited any national parks you would recommend? No. Um, I have no recommendations on that. I don't even have a lot of recommendations on the Dolphins. Um, I would cut Howard. Uh, I'd probably keep Ramsey as is, even though that looks awful. Um keep hill as is restructure chubb uh let's see if i cut howard yeah that gets me 13 oh no that that's still on restructuring hill i gotta cancel those out um let's see Maybe you have to do those. For some reason, I can't seem to cancel them out. Um, there we go. I think I can get to about 13. Um, I think I'm not touching anybody on that team. And to be, and I'm not extending Tua, you know. I, I'm just not going to do it. Like I, I don't think that upside is there. Bears emoji. If Eddie Jackson's contract is too expensive for the Bears, why can't they just cut and re-sign him to a cheaper deal or change the existing deal? So, in many cases like that one, what happens is the the player is not happy that they're being asked to take a pay cut. So oftentimes they would rather leave the team, end up making less money um, than sticking with the team and taking a pay cut. Um, you know, they'll, they'll test the market, find out the market is less, but they won't go back. It, it's almost like that's a, you know, that going back is not a, a positive at that point. Uh, Nick, when looking at cap hits for a team, Jaguars in particular, how can we estimate restructuring? Um, what is Ridley actually worth? Um, so if you want to estimate restructuring, I mean, just look at their base salary. Um, or it, okay, so if you go to OTC, 
All right, and then I'll, I'll just pull it up here. So let, let's go to, um, let's see, let's go to the Jaguars here. That's the one he asked about. Right. Um, for some reason, I am taking the long way there, but let's go to the Jaguars. Jaguars, Jaguars, where are you? There you go. All right, so you go to the Jaguars. So the first thing that you could do is simply go to our uh, menu in the dead money and cap savings, go to restructure, and that will show you exactly how much money could be saved by restructuring the player's contract, which is taking their uh, their paragraph five, their base salary, their roster bonuses that you see listed, their workout bonuses, uh, maybe their other bonuses, and restructuring them, basically converting those to a prorated bonus um, over the existing years of the contract. And that'll give you a, a quick number as to how much money that you can probably save against salary cap. Um, the other way that you can do it um, let's see if we have that. So the extension option, I believe the extension option, and I'm not a hundred percent sure on this, is if we take their salary and it would be the equivalent of just adding void years in there. Like we're not giving them extra money. We're just prorating this out over five versus the existing, um, term of the deal. I think that's what this does. Um, but if not, I mean, you, you could take the uh, base salary, um, roster bonuses that are listed, workout bonuses that are listed, multiply that by four, divide it by five. That's the amount of money you would take off the, uh, the cap if you add those void years in there to get the uh, maximum savings. Um, so, you know, that, that's the way that you can estimate it. Um, you know, Ridley is, you know, he's another one I have a value on. Probably like 15 to 17. It's probably where he's at. 1912, looking to the past three to five years, rank your top three teams in terms of handling contracts, cap space, draft picks, winning your bottom three teams, uh, most efficient, least efficient. Um, all right, let's take a look here. I'm going to just open up my cap room page. So I think the teams that have been the best run in the last couple of years are probably the Chiefs. I, I'm not giving you these in order. I'll, I'll just give you three teams. I think the Chiefs are one of the best run teams. I think the Eagles are a very well run team. Oh, man, this is a tough one. So, it's either the Lions or the 49ers. See, the, the Lions have a, a weird situation because of the Jared Goff thing. But that kind of has to factor into it, right? So, I'm probably going to go Lions um, on that. Worst run... Um, 
you know, you, your worst run teams, Saints, I mean, by far. I mean, I, I, I don't even think that there's a question in this, right? They, they traded an extra first-round pick to, to take that tackle, you know, a couple years ago, two years ago. Um, you know, and all the salary cap stuff. So I think the Saints are the worst run. Chargers are number two. Um, and I don't, I, I don't think the Chargers are. Th- oh man, last three years, you know, the Chargers have to be up there. It, it's it, you know that they, they were one of those teams that just went all in on this old roster. Um. I mean, Arizona, you know what? I'm going to take that out. So the Saints would be number one. I, I think your next two teams are the Cardinals, um, just terribly run, and Washington. Um, you know, Washington, yeah, they have the most cap room in the NFL next year. That's just basically out of stupidity. Um, it's not really out of anything else that they did. Um so I, I think those would probably be my bottom three uh, that I would go with. Uh, what is the one position that you would hit the reroll button on every year if you were the GM? I would say outside linebacker. Um, uh, gosh, I, I don't know what that would be. Um, you know, I mean, if we're talking about young youth, I mean, it's quarterback. You know, you take as many shots as you can at that position. Um, If we're just talking in general, I'd probably say corner. Um, Excuse me. I think corner is that position that is, um, you know, fluctuates a lot. So I'd rather just have, like, a lot of really good corners, um, you know, and just keep assuming that, you know, one guy is probably not going to play as good. Another guy will be great. And just go from there. John, uh, do you see the Players Association making a push for higher cap based on the fact that college players can now be paid incredibly high amounts of money for staying in high school, uh, in school, not high school? Uh, or does the PA prefer players stay in college because it helps veterans keep their jobs? Um, I don't think they give... I don't think they care one bit about that uh, latter part um, that you said. Um, no, I mean they're they're the whole CBA is based on you know revenue sharing, you know from NFL revenue, which has nothing to do with college. Um, you know, quite frankly, if you are a good college player, I can't imagine with the exception of running back that you're going to make enough money to where you would make that decision to be like, I'll stay in college and not go to the NFL. And the only reason I mention it for running back is just because there's no second contract to get to. Every other position has a second contract. Running back doesn't. So I, I could see, uh, you know, logic in that. All right, Vin, uh, what should the Jets do about Bryce Huff? Is uh, JFM a cap casualty possibility? Does Mosley finally get forced to take a pay cut? Um, I don't know what you do about Huff. I, I think the the Huff decision is very, very, very difficult um, because uh, 
from a public relations perspective, it would be a nightmare to lose him. From an on-field perspective, you cannot pay $20 million a year to a guy that you only throw on the field 40% of the time. You can't do it. Um, so, given that the Jets didn't play him more last year, I can't see a situation where it makes sense to, you know, you know, pay him at that level. So, I... I I'm just going to say that if that's your your viewpoint of it, you probably should let him walk. Um, I think John Franklin Myers, I think there's an outside chance he could be a cap casualty. Um, I think he made Nick's list. I would say he's probably more of a restructure possibility. Um I thought he played pretty well this year. Uh, let me see. He, he didn't get as many um, personal foul calls, I think. Let me look up what I had his valuation at. I'm going to guess. Oh, it's a lot lower than I thought. 6'6". Six, six. Um, so he's 55% of the play time. Sacks average-ish. Eh, I don't know. I, I would say the eye test would tell me, like, he was okay. Um, my own little metric says not great. Um, I would guess there's a chance of a pay cut more than anything else in there. Um, you know, but I, I, I would say that's what it is. Uh, does Mosley finally get forced to take a pay cut? Um, I don't know. I don't know why they didn't do it last year. Um, so I would guess maybe he'll take one. Um, I, I'm going to guess the Jets will uh, kind of bring it out there as like taking one for the team. But I don't know. He didn't do it last year. So I'm, I'm going to say no. If I, I And I don't think the Jets are going to force the uh, situation. Uh, last question. Philip, can you discuss the Cowboys Dak Prescott dilemma? So I kind of went over it before. Um, but I, I think it's basically just a question of do you extend him or don't you? You know, if, if you've already decided in your, your mind, if you're Jerry, like this is my quarterback for the next three years, well, then just extend him. Don't, don't waste the time. Um, otherwise, I would just let it play out and see where the chips fall after that. All right, so that should do it for me. So I'm going to see if I can piece this podcast together. Hopefully it works because uh, that would stink to uh, to lose, you know, three hours of uh, podcasting here. Um, hopefully I will be back next week, um, you know, do another one of these. will not be as long as this since, you know, it's one week versus three weeks off. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, so... Thank you uh, for listening. Um, you know, pour one out for Nelly here uh, one last time. Um, everybody have a great week, and I will hopefully talk to you all again soon.